It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Doug Maurice, quick note about this episode. It's our first Buckeye Talk Legacy podcast, and it includes clips from two C.J. Stroud interviews. You will hear some early in the podcast that were recorded on February 5th, 2020. It's when Ohio State had the first round of interviews with early enrollees. That's the first time we talked with C.J. Stroud on campus. A lot of interesting stuff from that. And then the clips later on are from an interview I did with CJ in November, a one-on-one interview that has not been heard before. Clips from that uh, appear in the middle and back end of the podcast. And then the final clip that you'll hear is once again from that interview in February 2020. So we go from February 2020 to November 2022, a variety of CJ Stroud clips to supplement what Nathan and Stephen and I are talking about. I think you guys will like this one. Thanks as always for listening. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Marie, Nate the Baird, Stephen Means. This is Buckeye Talk Legacy. And this is something that we're starting, and we're starting it with CJ Stroud because he is the perfect person for this new little side podcast thing that will drop in from time to time where we sort of run through a person's career as an Ohio State Buckeye. We we hope to do this with all Ohio State stars sort of on their way out the door. Going forward, we may go back and do some very recent guys that we all covered, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Justin Fields, guys like that. But I think this is a, a very good place to start. We, we want to just run through the entire history of this person as a Buckeye, how they got here, what they meant, their highs, their lows, and how they'll be remembered, Nathan. And I do think C.J. Stroud, it's a very specific career that really lends itself to this type of discussion. And even if we didn't say, hey, we want to do this as a series, I just think a standalone episode on C.J. Stroud because of who he is, what he meant, what he did. And there's just a lot of pieces to this. I think this is an appropriate thing to do for this guy, regardless of anything else. I think it's a great we're kind of lucking into the perfect first person to start this with in, in some ways, because I think someone like a Chase Young leaves or even like a Justin Fields leaves, and maybe their legacy is a little bit more straightforward. And with CJ, it's a little bit more complicated. We've already had small versions of the discussion we're about to have over the next 
however long it, it takes. Uh, as 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 people who listen to Buckeye talk know, we we like to stretch it out. Long. And 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 he is not an enigmatic person. Enigmatic person. I think CJ is 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 not that way but i think his legacy is very enigmatic and it's bounced around already just from where things were going into november where they were coming out of november where things seem to be going into the peach bowl where they are coming out of the peach bowl and then what he does now at the next level will also have some influence on his his the totality of his legacy with ohio state he is a really tremendous person to start this exercise with because there's there is debate over what the extent of his legacy is. We are going to end this and we won't do this for every guy, but you guys may remember a couple off seasons ago, we did our Mount Buckmore where we went through all the big positions in Ohio state football. And we picked the four guys who would be on a mountain, have their faces carved in to represent Ohio state history at that position. And we started off with quarterback. We did it on July 30th, 2021, Stephen. And we, at that time, it was a very heavy Quinn Ewers discussion because even as we were recording it, Quinn Ewers was not only committed to Ohio State, was but was deciding he was going to enroll early. And so we are going to end that we have a structure to this series, to these legacy podcasts. And the final thing is for everybody, how they fit in, where they fit into the history of Ohio State football. So we will specifically talk about sort of that Mount Buckmore idea, Stephen. Is C.J. Stroud one of the four best quarterbacks in Ohio State history? But I just want to drop this in off the top, mostly because I kind of got some numbers right. And if I ever say anything right, I hammer it 10,000 times because to make up for the times when uh, I get stuff wrong. So if I can find the stats, at that time, we were talking about um, Quinn Ewers, and I was talking about what I thought he might do in his career at Ohio State and what I thought he would need to do to make Mount, Mount Buckmore, to be one of the four greatest guys ever. And I think at that time, I think I said he might have a 40% chance of winning a national title, a 30% chance of winning a Heisman, but a 70% chance of getting on Mount Buckmore. And if you go back and listen to that podcast from July 30th, 2021, every single thing I said about Quinn Ewers, you just replaced C.J. Stroud. You just take out the name Quinn Ewers and you put in C.J. Stroud. But also at that time in July 2021, in talking about who is and who might be the greatest quarterbacks in Ohio State history, not a lot of C.J. Stroud talk. We were not spending a lot of time on C.J. Stroud. I was all riled up about Quinn Ewers. I said at that time, let's say Quinn Ewers has a career. Like, say he's 28-4 and as a starter. Say he throws 85 touchdown passes and say he throws for 9,000 yards in his career. I think that would get him on Mount Buckmore. I said 28 and 4, CJ Stroud as a starter 21 and 4. I said 85 touchdown passes, CJ Stroud in his career 85 touchdown passes. I said throw for 9,000 yards, CJ Stroud threw for 8,123 yards. It's pretty close. I got it exactly right. Wrong guy, wrong person, right idea. But Stephen, like we were looking right when we're talking about Ohio State legacies, we were just we were having that conversation about the next guy, the next guy, how good he would have to be to to be in this conversation. I think C.J. Stroud 
and this is what we're going to dig into. He put himself in the conversation, right? And we are not, we'll make definitive conclusions at the end, but that's why we're doing this, right? We're doing this episode because he had at least that type of career to be up with the top guys. Yeah. And I think we also came to a conclusion that there were probably only two names that were set in stone and maybe a little bit of wiggle room, like Fields and Troy Smith were the only like set in stones. And there was wiggle room with the other two guys, which helps that case for why it doesn't have to be so, oh, you better have a national championship. Oh, you better have a Heisman. Oh, you better make a, make a record. Well, because none of the other guys on the list have it. So it's kind of is going to depend on who you had on that list in the first place when we did this. What was it two years ago now when we did, did that list? So it kind of yeah. depends on some of that stuff as well. I, I think CJ is – he checked off all of those things, but then he didn't check off a lot of other important things that probably go into a, a Mount Buckmore, which to the point, he's perfect for this because when you're, whether you're a fan or you're a mem- media member, when you're evaluating a player and having a conversation about where he belongs in the hierarchy of stuff, there is a list of things that you use as kind of your guide of does he have this? Does he have that? Does he have this? Does he have that? CJ Stroud probably has 50% of the list. But the problem is, which of that 50% do you value more as a fan or as a media member when you're having a discussion like this? And I think it's going to – I don't think it's going to create headbutting between fans, but it does make for an interesting discussion when you're trying to make an argument for a guy like, or argument against a guy like this. So as we set out context here, Nathan, 8,123 passing yards. He's second all-time in Ohio State history in passing yards. With nine, uh, He's nine – he's about – 1,300 behind JT Barrett. JT Barrett had 9,434. CJ, 8,100. Arch Schleister's third at 7,500. And then he is also second all-time in touchdown passes. JT Barrett has 104. CJ Stroud has 85. Justin Fields is third with 63. So just like some of those counting stats, Nathan, right? I mean, like, that really matters. And again, it's hard because... Ohio State football has changed so much over the years, but C.J. Stroud is second in Ohio State passing yards. He's not in the top 10, Nathan, in attempts at Ohio State, right? This isn't like this is – he's not an air raid guy who just went out and chucked it around and threw it 50 times a game, and that's why he's high up on these statistical things. But that matters, and frankly, Nathan, I, we'll get into this – Like. I'm a little surprised his stats didn't wind up being better, which I don't know if that's what that's a reflection of. But, you know, 8,100 almost seems a little low to me for what C.J. Stroud did. But he's second all-time in touchdown passes, second all-time in passing yards. And as you were kind of reading off some of those stats, the first thing that jumps to my mind is he only had two years and Justin Fields only had two years as a starter. That's going to become the norm and it's going to make these these comparisons maybe a little bit more difficult over time, depending on how savvy someone wants to be and take the time to put them into context a little bit because you know JT Barrett played more than that. Arch Schleister and guys in that era, sometimes I can't remember what the dividing line was for when true freshmen were allowed to play. You can go back to obviously the Archie Griffin era when true freshmen weren't playing, but you still usually would get three years. Even as a quarterback, sometimes you would get three years as a starter. And that's just not going to be the case for Ohio State. So really when you put that into context, I hear what you're saying about the numbers not being as good because we uh, all predicted a higher uh, production ceiling than what he hit as this past season going into it. We thought there would be maybe some more like crazy numbers. And part of that was, you know, Jackson with the Jigman not being in the picture, but 
also take out the game that he set out as a freshman, take out two Big Ten championship games that we coming in to like, that's the assumption. You always play for the Big Ten championship, right? Didn't play in either of those games. So you can just start adding in a couple of games of 250 yards or more each. And now you and, you know, another five, six, seven, eight touchdowns like the numbers can really start to add up if you if you sprinkle in just a couple of those games that, that slipped away for for weird reasons. So those those statistical comparisons are going to be it's going to make things like championships and the Heisman and those sorts of things more important, I think, over time, because you're going to see guys who have to achieve a whole lot in a shorter window than it used to be when you might be able to be the starter for three or four seasons. It's also not just to throw in some of that throwaway stuff when you're just a backup playing garbage minutes. I know that's not a lot, but it's an extra. If, if he'd had Kyle McCord's throw, throwaway minute uh, snaps from the, in 2020, that's an extra 190 yards and a touchdown there. Um, Nathan, you already mentioned some of the throwaway stuff from missing a game and stuff like that. So you just throw some of that stuff in there. And then with Fields, you even throw in the fact that it's, he only played eight games <laughs> in 2020 because right. it wasn't a normal full season for a guy who would have played in a national championship game. And so it, it's a little thrown off in a way that things maybe won't be thrown off in the future for some of these future starters. Best passer efficiency rating, sort of that, like that QB rating number. He has the best of that in Ohio State history. He has the second best completion percentage. He completed 69% of his passes. Dwayne Haskins completed 70% of his passes. He has nine 300-yard passing games in his career. That's tied for the most with Dwayne Haskins. But again, Nathan, what you're sort of talking about, the, the accumulation, the number of games, like guys don't play as long. CJ, 21 and four as a starter. JT Barrett, 38 and six. Arch Schleister, 36, 11 and one. Cornelius Green, 31, three and one. Bobby Hoying, 36 and one. Braxton Miller, 26 and eight. Rex Kern, 25 and two. Troy Smith, 25 and three. Craig Krenzel, 24 and three. Mike Tomzak, 23 and eight. Jim Carsados, 22 and six. All those guys, Nathan, more wins as a starting quarterback than C.J. Stroud because they were the starter longer than two seasons. So when we start getting into legacy, I don't know exactly how that folds in, but the longer you're, you're here, the greater the imprint you make, but this is what it's going to be going forward. And this modern era, I don't even know. I mean, a three-year starter is somebody comes in and wins the job as a true freshman, right? I mean, that's that's right. how that's going to happen going forward. So I don't think you, you, you don't ding CJ Stroud for quote, only being 21 and four. But when people go back in the memory bank and say, well, how does that compare to, you know, JT Barrett just played more than a guy like CJ Stroud. Or if they don't win the job, there's an injury or something that forces them to start. And then they, or, or something yeah. happens where they have to take over. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, Rex Kern's a great example, like a guy who played in an era where you couldn't play as a true freshman and they only played 10 games in the regular season, not 12 with a conference championship game and still played pretty significantly more games than, than CJ Stroud did, I think. And I think he played, I think he had more wins than CJ Stroud played in his whole career. So again, yes. that just tells you, and, and I, and, it, and again, that helps frame the conversation we're about to have about CJ, because the, the other thing that's happening is those passing numbers are starting to normalize at a higher level at Ohio state, obviously like Dwayne Haskins came along and did what he did. Fields took the torch, Stroud took the torch. And now the what constitutes great passing numbers in Ohio State history is going to start to normalize at a higher level. 
So that's why I think eventually over the course of the next six plus hours, however long we're going to do this, that we're going to talk a lot about the games that CJ Stroud won and lost, the championship CJ Stroud won and lost or didn't play for. Like those things are going to frame this conversation a lot more than yardage and touchdowns. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the career, sometimes career stuff can just mean you played for a long time and you were old. I think the more interesting thing here is five, 10 years from now, what do the single season records look like? Because for a long time, they didn't throw the ball at this level. And Dwayne Haskins, how was that? 4,800 yards there. CJ Stroud's right behind him with his 21 and 22 seasons. Are those two nine and 10 when we get to 2033 and we're doing this type of pod about, I don't know, you know, Ricky Johnson from. Colorado, who's Ohio State starting quarterback. I think that's a better imp- implication going forward because the passing attack of Ohio State is still changing so much and becoming something that we haven't seen in the first 100 years of this program. You look at per season, 2021, when CJ threw for 369.5 yards per game, first in Ohio State history. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Haskins, 341 in 2018, that second. And then this past season for CJ Stroud, which felt like a drop-off, 283.7, still third best in Ohio State history for passing yards per game, right? Again, that's the context that we're talking about. The completion percentage last year in 2021, best in Ohio State history. He's fourth with what he did in 2022. So again, by seasons, he's putting up like the best seasons in Ohio State history. Number of completions, Dwayne Haskins playing point guard in 2018. He's first with 373. CJ is second and third on that list for pass completions in a season. And then passing yards per season. Again, the guy, you know, the single the single season stuff, uh, Stephen, as we get down the road into what this new future is going to be, CJ did put some stuff out there for people to have to chase. Dwayne, 48-31, that's first in Ohio State history in 2018. CJ's two seasons are second and third. So we needed to lay it out. When we come back, we have categories that we're going to go through. CJ Stroud, what we remember, the moments, the games, the things he did best. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's one of my goals is to be able to play in the NFL one day. And I think Coach Day definitely is somebody who can help me get there. And uh, I think that his mind, he has the best mind in offensive-wise in college football. And I think that um, just learning from him for these next three to four years, have been, it's just going to be a blessing, and I'm just going to learn so much. Doug Nathan and Steven back. Steven, we'll start with how he got here. And this, I think, is such a vital part of the C.J. Stroud story. 
because he very easily couldn't have been here. And even this season in 2022, he was talking about the relationships with some individual players mm-hmm. is what helped him get here. And he he thought he maybe got a little blowback for that. Like, that's not what he meant. But it's this is not a guy who grew up, you know, with scarlet and gray blood. But he came here for a reason. He came here with a purpose. And, uh, and some of that were personal relationships he built. But he was not destined, Stephen, to be a Buckeye. Yeah, no, first, the, the whole, I didn't come here for no coach. I came here for these players. I'm, I asked the question of how that ended up there. So the content, I was asking about Julian Fleming and the relationship they had in Dallas. So it, he was not at all coming at Mike Yersich or any other coach. He was, I'd asked him a question about Julian and he was hyping up his player. But yeah, it's at its simplest form. DJ Oyungaleye got one of the last invites to the Elite 11 in 2019 that was in Dallas and he opted out after he got selected because he decided that he wanted to stay back with St. John Bosco and take those extra practices that they get in the summer and prepare to go win a national championship. So because he opts out, the guy who at the time is the top quarterback in the country, him and Bryce Young, that opens up a spot for the guy who was the last guy left out. And that was C.J. Stroud, who had camped twice during the regionals. He had camped one time in L.A. and another time in Oakland. He looked good, but he just, you know, he didn't look like one of the best quarterbacks in the country at that time. So – they call him, he gets the invite, and then he goes there and he tears it up. He wins the MVP award, even though – and his team was kind of loaded that year. He was – they had it in, like, groups, in, like, tribes is how they did it. They didn't have one quarterback for a team like they've had in other years. So it's him, Bryce Young, and Jack Miller in the same tribe, running the same team. And even the first couple of days that they were down there competing, clearly Bryce Young's the guy everybody – they would have the quarterbacks vote for who started every day. Clearly, Bryce Young's going to win that because he's the top quarterback in the country. And then Jack Miller at the time is still viewed as the top 100 recruit. So CJ's third string, and he's buying his time, buying his time, buying his time. And over time, it starts looking like, hey, man, he's this kid's pretty good. Maybe we should give him more opportunity. So he get, starts getting more opportunity and more opportunity. And then they have the pro day, and his 50-point score is still the best. Even four years later, four summers later, it's still the it's a they literally put them through all the stuff that you would have a guy go through in pro day, and they grade out throws. A three is a perfect throw, a two is an okay ball, and a one is a it's not a good ball. His fifty score add up is still the best to this day, and so all this starts adding up until he eventually wins the MVP. And while a lot of this is happening. Julian Fleming's taking notice. G. Scott is taking notice. Then Jackson Smith the Jigba is taking notice. That's three top 100 recruits as receivers. Legend Cavazos, who's down there, is taking notice. All the other Ohio State guys are taking notice. And then they call Ryan Day and they go, hey, man, y'all need to – I know we need another quarterback. Y'all need to check this kid out because he actually might be pretty good here. And so Ryan Day hits him up, and it's a, it's a very brief conversation just to kind of, you know, let his way into the door. But then over the next six months, they build a relationship. He earns an offer probably like two weeks before he comes for an official visit against Michigan for the Michigan State game, that night game. And then obviously Ohio State ends up winning that race over Georgia and Michigan. But this all starts because DJ Oyungleye, who ends up at Clemson, opts out of the elite 11 at the right time that CJ is coming into his own as a quarterback. And then he goes and tears it up. And all those commits are going, yo, you need to check this kid out. I think this is our next starting quarterback. Because they text me. Um, he was the first person to actually contact me from Ohio State. And I never talked to Ohio State, never thought about going here. I kind of was just like, uh, whatever whatever happens, happens. I always, uh, it was right before the opening where I, have all the, I had all the Pac-12 schools, a lot of Big 12, but I, never, I didn't have any Big 10 at the time. And uh, those were the, 
I mean, Coach Day texted me that that day at the opening before the uh, before I won it, and um, he let me know like that they were interested in me, and he like told me to keep it up, keep my leadership up, because I was leading the Ohio State guys at the opening, so that was like my first contact with Ohio State. He remembers that initial contact from Ryan Day, the offer. He said he dropped to his knees when he gets that offer. Mm-hmm. He realizes this is a life changing moment for him. Yeah, I got on my knees and prayed, man, because I just knew my life changed. Like, that moment, like, I literally, like, snapped on my knees and prayed just off the fact that I just know God has a plan for my life. Um, my life story, I'm not going to go into it, but, like, I've been through a lot of things, and, I mean, I've uh, had a lot of hardships, but God has always upveiled me. He's always um, made me strong in those situations. So when uh, when it's all said and done, I know that he always has a plan for me. And then when, uh, when Coach Day texted me, I kind of just, just felt that, yeah, this is a sign. And Nathan, I know all three of us over CJ's time here have had conversations with CJ. You know, you get to know guys a little bit, but I know, Nathan, you wrote about sort of as he came up, right, as a young quarterback and and learning how to play the position and finding his way there. Um, this guy winds up being a late bloomer. I mean, he had a, he had a tougher road than a lot of guys, but he also, it seems like in a, in a lot of ways, this this guy was was meant to be a quarterback, Nathan, right? Yeah, I, you know, the the story that I did last year when uh, they were at the Rose Bowl, so, you know, January 2022, I, I went to his old high school. I met up with you know, his first youth coach or one of his first youth coaches, a guy named Willie Munford, and he noticed him when he was eight years old, that it was this kid down at the other end of the field, and Munford was coaching some older kids, and he sees this kid at the other end just, like, firing lasers at these other little kids and like smacking them in the face mask and stuff because he's throwing too hard for them to catch. And he saw like he coached youth football enough. And there've been some other guys out of that program uh, that had gone on to the NFL, Jamal Williams, the running back and uh, another name. I can't, I'm not remembering right off this top of my head, but they, they, that, that program knew what it was doing as far as, you know, moving guys along. And he could see already that there was something in him. And the things that he became known for the most at Ohio State, partially like the processing and all that stuff would eventually come. But things like just sort of his seriousness of purpose, you know, taking his his work seriously, being very diligent in film study, all those things are showing up really early in his developmental path. There's stories about he was telling us, you and I, Doug, I remember last year's stories about skipping lunch to, to work out and, and steady football, watch film that he almost didn't go to prom because he wanted to get in. Like he thought, he thought it would interrupt his workout routine or whatever. And one of the informative conversations I had. So with last time Ohio state had a quarterback competition, like the one they're about to have was going into the 2021 season, obviously. And that spring I did features on, on all the guys who were involved in that, McCord and Jack Miller and and CJ. And I talked to a guy named Nick Acosta, who had been the starter there at Rancho Cucamonga and who uh, was the older of the two guys and the guy that Stroud was having to compete for going into his, uh, I guess, sophomore year. And the coaches there said, like, you know, this guy was, like, more polished. He'd kind of already done some things. But people saw enough talent in CJ at, as a freshman that they were like, hey, maybe that's actually the way we should go. and the way he described it was uh, this is a guy who went on and played a couple of seasons of D three ball. So it's no secret, the arm talent, everything like that and how advanced he was for a freshman or a sophomore. Uh, obviously physically he jumped out and he could throw the ball well as a freshman and was very confident. The issue with CJ was never 
whether he had the athletic talent and the, the football talent to do it. It was really just all a matter of exposure. He was a guy that also took basketball really seriously. There are some comparisons here with Justin Fields, who was such a great uh, CJ was never a basketball uh, prospect the way Justin Fields was a baseball prospect, but that had been such a big part of his life that it interrupted the the football exposure that he got in some crucial years, and he kind of just always had to catch up with that, and it, it, it finally did. Where he ended up being is probably where he should have been all along. It was just a matter of getting the right eyes on him because guys like Jack Miller and guys like DJ Uyelongale, like they were getting those eyes very early in their football lives. And for CJ, a lot of that in a, a formal way just came way later. Steven, as we know, CJ's father went to prison when CJ was 13. Mm-hmm. And that is a, obviously a changes your life, changes your life when that happens. And so CJ has always been uh, very open about his faith. It's, he, he mentions it at the beginning of every news conference. Um, this guy's road, man, this guy's road that, you know, there's this this football part of it, but it it amazes me sometimes. You know, Troy Smith had a story like this, you know, to some degree, too, that there are just so many options for an off ramp, right, that you don't even give you don't even have the opportunity to do anything like this. And so for CJ and his family, um, for him to have had the support of his family to get to this opportunity and then take advantage of it like he did you know it wasn't something that he talked about a lot early in his in his time at Ohio State but it's certainly part of his story Stephen and you understand why I mean again he he is I think he he is as visible with his faith as any player I've covered maybe you know tied for first with with some other guys but he leaned on that right I mean there were times you you have these very difficult moments. And um, that's real. All of this, like, I think, again, we've, we've talked to CJ. We've, the three of us have talked about CJ on and off podcasts. And this guy, one of the things about CJ is this is a real dude, man. Like this is, there's not artifice really here. Like this is, this is how this guy thinks and how he operates. And this is his view of the world. And it's, it's shaped by some very difficult things, some great things. And you get this person who I th- I think is sort of stands alone as um, as the type of person that he is. He's just he's just a very rare type of person with the way he handles his business, and you kind of understand why. Yeah, I think immediately when you first meet him, just as like a person, you're having a normal conversation with him, um, not as a media player, just as human beings. Is he is not one for the BS. At all. Mm. He is going to say it like it is, and he expects you to do the same thing, or he will very quickly lose respect for you. And sometimes that can be to his detriment when he will at times say things like, I'm not a running back, I'm a quarterback, my job is to throw the ball. Right. And then, like, we all take that and we run with it because it's like, oh, why would he say that? He needs to run the ball more. It's like, no, he's just being blunt about what his job description is. And it's very true. His job is to throw the ball first. It's just, this is part of our job here. But that, and I think some of that comes from how he grew up, where he grew up, the, even the faith stuff. He had kind of lost his way with some of that stuff in high school when it, what happened to his father happened. His father was a preacher. Um, I can relate to some of that stuff. We we kind of related in some of that stuff. And when he lost that, he lost his way a little bit. And then he got to Ohio State. And it's why he was so happy for Cameron Babb, maybe more than anybody else, because 
Cameron Babb played a huge role in helping him refine a lot of that stuff. The first of all, I want to thank God that a lot of that is just as much as Cam Babb as it is the stuff that he was experiencing back when he was living in, you know, LA at the time. But I think, as I said before, that's the best way to maybe describe him. And it is great in the locker room. It's not always great when you have a microphone in your face and people are mad at you because you didn't take off and take those seven yards over there or maybe you didn't hit a guy perfectly or you lost this game. But it has definitely earned him not only the respect of the people in this locker room, but really at the NFL level as well. There are a lot of guys and some of that because he already kind of knows who his agent is, but he's got a lot of respect in the football community from his peers, even before he was C.J. Stroud, the number three quarterback in a 2020 recruit when he was a three-star Bryce Young and a lot of these dudes they thought he was a dude then it just you know it happens at different times for everybody when I got here on the, uh, for my first unofficial uh, the Michigan State game like going into the stadium like seeing the tradition seeing the people outside seeing the buck like the walk into the um, into the um, old basketball arena um, with the chance and the motivational speeches and like all those things and the tradition of just and then you get into a stadium and it's 105,000 Everybody's packed up, squeezing against each other, and they're all rooting, like screaming their lungs out just for the Buckeyes to win. And like that's some, that's the support that I wanted in my cause experience. Yeah, and I want to play in front of that so I can get ready for the next level as well. So CJ Stroud gets here, Nathan, and he is a freshman in the weird COVID year of 2020, and he is here as the second recruit in a class with Jack Miller, who we have referenced earlier. And so this is our next category that we're going to do in these legacy podcasts. It's like, what's year one like? And part of the reason why I wanted to break this out separately, Nathan, is there are a lot of great legendary Ohio State players who have a rough year one. Rough year one is more the norm, I think, at, at major college programs, right? I mean, so so CJ, you know, wasn't dealing like with the red shirt kind of thing where all you're doing is you know, you're in the weight room and you're at the training table, like if you're an offensive lineman or something. But he, he was in this situation, Nathan, where in 2019, when Justin Fields was the starting quarterback, it was like, I, I, who is their start? Who is their backup? Who Who is number two? Like it was this whole, right? They got Gunnar Hoke. Is it Chris Chuganoff? Like they're just desperate for bodies. And then here in 2020, it's year two of Justin Fields and it's CJ Stroud and Jack Miller. And it is the beginning of this quarterback competition, Nathan. This is something that is very much front of mind for everybody because this is two big time quarterbacks in the same recruiting class. So what did we think of CJ Stroud sort of in year one? It's this weird season where everything's thrown off. They only play eight total games. That includes getting the national championship game. And CJ Stroud is like, okay, well, you know, if somebody's if Justin Fields abducted by by aliens, I I might be the guy here. But it's also hard to get a read on this guy when the whole season's out of whack. It was, and there just were fewer games that year, as we made note of, as Ryan Day himself made note of. Well, there were f- fewer games, and then there were fewer games in which they could put those backups into the game and really let them cook. And a lot of that actually was Ohio State maybe not taking advantage of some opportunities to do that. But it's such an interesting juxtaposition between Stroud and Jack Miller III because they took parallel paths, or well, what do I say, like intersecting paths to get here. Their, 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 their career arcs crossed over each other, whereas Miller was this great like national 
highly ranked prospect early on, then he gets hurt and he starts to drift back and Stroud kind of comes out of nowhere. So I think we sort of assumed that it, we don't want to make just full assumptions just based on rankings. We obviously want to go by watching guys play and what coaches actually say about them, but just based on the, the momentum that those guys brought into that freshman year, the assumption kind of was Stroud was out in front. And even when you guys famously probably remember the Nebraska game to start the year, the first quarterback to go in behind fields was Jack Miller. And he led a touchdown drive that cost me a bet against Doug, but for the, the, the total points for that game or whatever. And, but really I think by the end of that season, it was plainly obvious that Stroud was the one who had pulled ahead there. Uh, most tellingly because when Justin Fields had to come out of games and not, for mop up, like what was the Michigan state game? Maybe late that year, there was a game late that year where he had to come out for just one snap or a couple. And then the the best example was the, the semifinal against Clemson where uh, James Skowski hits fields and like destroys his rib cage or whatever. It feels has to come out of the game. GJ Stroud's going into a playoff game and all he's doing is handing the ball off. But still that told you where the progress he had made over the course of that year. Now you also had Kyle McCord as a five-star coming in behind him. So it was, it still seemed very real that a quarterback competition was going to have to happen, but it also seemed very obvious and apparent that over the course of that first year, Stroud had positioned himself to be the guy that others were going to have to catch and pass. Just for the record, 247 Sports, in the end, the final quarterback ratings, finer player ratings in the class of 2020. C.J. Stroud is the number three quarterback in the 247 composite, only behind Bryce Young and D.J. Uyunglele. He's the number 42 overall player, and Jack Miller is the number 27 quarterback and the number 334 overall player. Our coaches here have done a great job of not really making it a competition yet, but it is a competition. But, I mean, we don't mean Jack. Me and Jack talk every day about the things that we do. We, we compete against each other in the mat drills. And it's like one of those things that you just, like, you get used to doing. Like, we compete against safeties. We compete against linebackers. Like, you're competing against tight ends. So, I mean, just, it's just the culture that you're – when you come to Ohio State, you know that you're going to compete no matter who it's against. But, I mean, I feel like always uh, everything's going to work itself out. Steven? We were all talking quarterback competition, but CJ was a riser, right? CJ, by the time this went down and you described, you know, guys calling Ryan Day, yo, we got to get this guy in the class. By the time these two guys got here, our assumption was CJ's ahead in this race to succeed Justin Fields. Or at bare minimum equal, because if Jack Miller was still the Jack Miller they had originally gotten, Mm. probably not going to get a quarterback this highly rated. They're probably going to go get where Jack Miller was at the end of the day. They're going to get that guy. They're not going to get the kid who's going to end up being the top 50 recruit. So that tells you some things. Nathan already mentioned the games that were there, but it just always felt like from the moment CJ got the offer and it was clear that the Buckeyes are probably going to win this, that momentum was just going to shift in CJ Stroud's favor and he was just going to ride that wave all the way to the Minnesota game. And the only kid who really had anything to say about it was going to be a kid who was in a class lower than him. And could he play catch up in that race? Because CJ had already been in the system for a year, even if the year had been kind of wacky. So I want to, I want to lay this down here because he gets through year one. He he comes into that Michigan state game. He has a long touchdown run. He doesn't throw a pass. 
right? That was the whole thing. Once Justin Fields left, right, it's like, hey, they're now going to like have a quarterback battle between Kyle McCord and C.J. Stroud and maybe Jack Miller, and nobody's ever thrown a college football pass. C.J. Stroud had the, I think it was 46-yard touchdown run against Michigan State, and that's it. And I will say, I was not a believer. That's why when we did this podcast in July of 2021 about the next Mount Buckmore quarterback, I wasn't talking about C.J. Stroud. I was all over the future of Quinn Ewers. And I was not a believer in C.J. Stroud early in 2021. And we're not going to go chronologically in all this. We have other categories we're going to do. But Nathan, I was converted by C.J. Stroud. And I know now why I wasn't a believer early on. And it is because Ryan Day always talks about that you look for an exceptional trait when you are recruiting a quarterback, the exceptional trait. And as I've only talked about a 400 times in the last year, CJ's exceptional trait, you can't see. You can't see it the same way that you see a rocket arm or crazy running ability because his exceptional trait is his brain. And I think his accuracy is tied into that. But I absolutely was not a believer early on. I was not a believer in the quarterback battle heading into 2021. And the way he started in 2021, by the time he sat out against Akron, which was mostly injury related, as we know, but I also think was a nice moment for CJ to reset himself mentally as well. I was prepared, Nathan, for Kyle McCord to play great and take over. I had real questions about, I don't know that this is the guy because I don't think at that point he had really, he had not yet shown his exceptional trait. And then by the end, by the end, I am talking up CJ in a way that people are saying, man, you guys, you don't ever criticize CJ. Why don't you ever criticize CJ? You know, we can go back. There's a review sitting in Buckeye Talk, the Apple podcast reviews about how we're not critical enough of CJ Stroud and Ryan Day going into the Georgia game. And then like you have the Georgia game, it's like, well, uh, how about that? But Nathan, that's where I was. Where, where would you say like coming out of year one, right? As we're getting ready. Okay. Justin Fields is gone. Who's next? Where were you, Nathan, with C.J. Stroud? So I remember, and I didn't go back and, and read this, but I remember coming out of the 2021 spring game saying, writing a piece that was, because you're trying to like, you know, what what is the theme of the day? And the theme of the day was that quarterback battle. Like, that's what everybody was there to see. And the what I wrote out of that was basically C.J. Stroud just proved why he's the front runner for this job. And it was, you know, a couple weeks into August per Ryan Day's usual uh way of doing this before he finally stamped him the starter. But it again, it had been pretty clear coming out of the spring that this was the guy that they were going to have take over this offense. And, you know, the first half of the Minnesota game was a little bit iffy, as you might expect a first time starting quarterback on the road in a big 10 game on in weird Thursday night, whatever. And then the second half, he kind of won some of that back. I thought he, he proved himself a little bit, but at the time, you know, so much of that legacy conversation well, it's not a legacy conversation yet, right? It's almost just a competency conversation. And we're having it in real time each week based on the results kind of right in front of our face because we don't have a lot of depth of of data on him at that point. And, and depth of, we only get to see little bits and pieces of things. And then the season starts. Uh, one thing I did go back and listen to, though, I thought there was one podcast that would be really instructive about this exact topic. And it was the 
post-game podcast from the Tulsa game because he did not play well against Tulsa. And we know more now why that was. At the time, we knew something was wrong with that shoulder. I think coming out of that game, he had finally admitted how much that there was pain. And Ryan Day was talking more about it. But they had really been avoiding the topic even when it looked like something was wrong. Remember, he was, was always like moving his arm around and like trying to get loosened up during games. Something wasn't right. And, but at the time we still didn't know. And I think the exact quote, I think it was your quote, Doug, pretty early on. I think it was like the second segment we talked about was the quote was, we have to talk about whether CJ Stroud is the right guy for this. And the whole concept of that conversation was, aren't you going to have to start playing common chord in games somewhat? And Hey, by the way, and we actually had a very long discussion during that podcast, which I had completely forgotten about, about Quinn Ewers, because <laughs> you were kind of going on one of your typical Maurice rants about why is anybody asked about Quinn Ewers? Is he practicing? Does he run the scout team? What's going on? Does he, is he there at all? What's happening? And uh, like, I'm going to ask about him on Tuesday or you're going to ask him about him on Tuesday. And th- those things seem humorous in retrospect because these past couple years, everything Ohio state did played out with no influence from Quinn Ewers and wouldn't have played out better with more influence from Quinn Ewers, at least what's happened so far. So just, again, one of those historical things that's like that in the in the time capsule forever. But we were talking a lot about was it was really more a Ryan Day conversation, though, than it was a C.J. Stroud conversation in some ways, because our point at the time was you've got all these good quarterbacks. Why are you so married to this one? Don't you need to give somebody else a try? It was all kind of you're at this critical juncture where you've already lost a game. It wasn't really C.J. Stroud's fault, but he also didn't play well enough to push you over the top. That's what the starting quarterback is sometimes supposed to do when you're on the verge of a win or loss. So very interesting conversation going on at that time, not really about whether C.J. Stroud was good or not, but whether is Ohio State, is Ryan Day doing enough to find out for sure whether or not he has the right guy? And is he influenced by the fact that he picked this guy that he doesn't want to try this guy? Because what if he's awesome? Again, conversations that seem a little bit humorous in retrospect, but in real time, there were absolutely conversations. You're talking about now three games into his starting career, and with the Akron game coming up, where we're like, I don't know about this. Like, maybe it's time. And then obviously what happens? They shut him down for a week and kind of the rest is history. I can really, I think my thought process really was, it feels like they believe in him. Why? Right. What, why are you so sure that he's the guy, Steven? Because it felt like, I, I don't know that we've seen it. Now we're not watching practice, but that's, I think that's where I was. Like, I don't, all right. But it seems like Steven, they, they believed in him. Where were you sort of in early CJ? Yeah, I think after that Oregon game, by that point, I was the only one who was still on no stick with CJ. And I thought part of the reason why is I thought we saw it, the upside, more in the Oregon game than the Minnesota game because Minnesota just could not keep up with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson to save their lives. I, I thought Oregon had enough to at least challenge what Chris and Garrett were at that point. And I thought CJ made some throws that made me think, Okay, regardless of how this game ends, this kid just needs to figure it out. He's just got to calm down and figure it out. I remember at, at halftime of the Minnesota game, he had told me that he was checking his phone to see how people were talking about him because he's 19 years old, and that's what 19-year-olds do when they're not doing something well. They check and see if everybody else can see that they're not doing something well as well. He needed to get that out of his system. And you just mentioned it. His special trait is his mind. Well, people's special traits can sometimes get in their way. 
We saw it with Justin Fields. We saw it with Dwayne Haskins. We're going to see it with Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes. I don't. Peyton Manning threw a bunch of picks early on in his career. Your special trait is why you're awesome. It's also a lot of the reason the time that you're not. And his special trait was, I'm overthinking out here. So how about I get out of my own way, even if that means they shut me down for a week. Even his mom was suggesting, and she had told me this, um, she was suggesting, like, I get it. You want to play, you want to look tough, but like you're you're not right. So let's sit down and let's get everything right here, especially between the ears, because that's the most important here. And then once he got that part of it right, it was like the Rutgers game got here, and we were like, oh, that's the real CJ Stroud, and it started you know trending upwards from there. But you could tell, especially now that we've seen the CJ we've seen since, those first three weeks, he was overthinking it. And because he was overthinking it, not in a good way, it was very much impacting his play. And also, he's a young quarterback with a defense that's not giving him any help. So you throw all those factors into it. That's how you lose to Oregon. That's how it's still a competitive game against Tulsa halfway through the third quarter. But I saw enough to think that if he ever got out of his own way, they have something here maybe. I do think I do remember thinking that he missed some throws in some of those mm-hmm. games. And when you look at those first three games, 59.1% completion against Minnesota, 64.8 against Oregon, 60% against Tulsa Nathan. That's not him. That's not him. And it's like if he's not gonna be accurate, then what is the thing? And then as we know, it's like, well, his shoulder was all junked up. That's really what that was more than anything else. But also, I think the other thing, and and this is part of who CJ is, Stephen, and I think you were you were exactly right on with CJ and the way he thinks about things. Early on, as we were getting to know CJ, and CJ seemed very ultra aware of all the noise to his detriment. That is part of who he is. And I will be curious how he handles that in the NFL. Mm-hmm. By the end of two seasons as a starter, it's kind of just who he is. And again, it's he's such a thinker. He takes everything in. It is hard for him, I think, to block it out. But early on, Nathan, when he's missing some throws, when he's there doesn't look great against Tulsa, and I think I'm thinking like, man, this guy has rabbit ears. Like he, everything, because he's not playing that great. He did throw for 484 yards against Oregon, Stephen, to your point. And he did make some throws in that game. But he's not playing that great. But he actually talks like he's playing worse than he is because he's hearing, like Mm -hmm. when he would talk, Nathan, about like what people are saying, he would sort of act like, oh, people think I shouldn't even be here or whatever. And it's like, well, I don't know. You just missed a third down throw. But Nathan, that I thought early on, I wondered if that would – sandbag him, like not sandbag him, sabotage him. His, his, he takes it in too much. And then by the end, I don't know that he ever stopped taking it in, but I think he learned how to better deal with what he takes in. He still hears it. He still hears it. But Nathan, I thought that was a real concern early on. No, absolutely. It was. And he, he did have to learn to process the same way he became a better processor of what he saw on the field. He became a better processor of what he read and heard. Um, the noise around him and probably at some point too you've accomplished enough that you start to weed out um, which of those voices might have any relevance and which ones are just reactionary and don't but we on that pod and we had this discussion other times I remember we you know came out impressed because you want to see okay the, the first post-game podcast for a 
not post game podcast first post game press conference for a new starter is always a very enlightening experience and especially because of the way that minnesota game went it was a game they won relatively comfortably but it wasn't a blowout from the start or anything and he comes in afterwards and was kind of uh, disarming a little bit and could talk really intelligently about some of the throws he made, decisions he made, a pick he threw, like things like that. He could really talk in a smart way. And we came out of that like enthused about that, encouraged by that, thinking that probably points him in a good direction. And then he came out of the Tulsa game and the way he talked about that game and talked about, it, again, just some of those noises that we were he was hearing and maybe paying too much attention to. We That was one of the con- conversations we had after that game then was like, wait a second, that's not that's not what that's supposed to be. That's he, that can't be, that's not going to lead him to a good place on the field eventually. So it was all part of him really feeling it out in real time. And listen, it's not, you know, it's not easy. It's really not easy. It's hard enough to go out there and do those things on the field and you're doing it in a spotlight and there's obviously rewards to it. So it's not like I feel bad for them necessarily, but you have to recognize that it isn't easy. You're young you're you're doing this for the first time at this level and someone like Justin Fields actually because of his background and probably this will be true I think also of Kyle McCord because maybe the way he was brought up and and eased into this a little bit the attention he got for an extended period of time were maybe a little bit better prepared to deal with that than CJ was because he was such a late riser and it was maybe thrust it was thrust into it a little bit more than so like Justin Fields had a freaking tv show that he was the co-star of before he ever got to ohio state like you're better prepared to know what's going on out there and maybe that point after you've had a tv show maybe you're not even looking at social media but for cj i i I understand why that was there but it obviously was something he had to flush out and and fill with the right kind of voices but as as we saw like right after the tulsa game right after he set out and the akron game things took off for him in a major way he didn't grow up as a quarterback the same way that Kyle McCord. And I think we even use that comparison with Jack Miller and Kyle McCord. They have been quarterbacks since the moment they were born. TJ is just a really talented dude who got an opportunity and made the most of it. He didn't have quarterback trainers when he was five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. A lot of the stuff he has now is because he's the position he's in, but he didn't have this at 12, 13. So there was always going to be a part of him that wasn't going to get unlocked until he got around people who could actually guide him on that journey. Now, some of that is because he was focused on playing basketball, but that's also the environment he grew up in. But to your point, Doug, with the, does he acknowledge as much? I think he acknowledges it the exact same amount. I just think the way he acknowledges it is so different. It felt like in 21, it was combative. Like it was, Mm. I know I'm a great player, no matter what you think. I will never, it was very like, I'm not going to let you get me down. Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert. He's letting people get get to him. This past year, it was more, and really at the end of 21, it was more like joking. It's like, I know everybody wants me to run. I want to run too. Like he kind of like dealt with it in a different way and allowed it. Like I'm, he's never going to stop acknowledging it, but it's a way to acknowledge it where it doesn't feel like it's getting to you. It's just more like, yeah, I see it. I just don't care, but I think it's funny. And it's even after the Michigan game, now after the Michigan game, that's a little different because you're sad. But even when you're talking to him down in, in Atlanta before the, the Peach Bowl, he was acknowledging that most people didn't think he was going to be able to do that, anything he did in that game. But it was more conversational, fun going, easy, laid back. See, as his mom calls him, cool breeze. And it was this kid who felt like he was trying to take on the entire 
fan base by himself. Um, I think a lot of people don't don't take into consideration. And even if they do, they don't understand the what's up, Jr. Um, good and you. I'm doing well. God bless. Um, I don't think people know the work we put in, and yep. they don't know the the sacrifice that we take. And it takes sacrifice for everybody in every career. You know what I mean? So like, and I know Tom Brady kind of mentioned um, playing football is like going to war. Like it's like going on. Get they get deployed. deployed. Yeah, and that's a little extreme. Because <laughs> like they're fighting for life and death. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, we're yeah. just entertainers at the end of the day. Yeah. For a sense of entertainment. Um, and I don't think that people understand the the sacrifice that people put in to really make people happy. And that's something I came to Ohio State for. I've seen the love and the culture of the Buckeyes and the love people have for this place. And I wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted to keep that tradition going. And I think it's fair sometimes that the things that we that people say about us, the, the crazy stuff that our family have to see, they have to they have to like my mom, she's like, I'm fine, like I'll be good. Like they can say whatever they want about me. I am good. Like, I know who I am and my Lord and Savior and who I am as a person. And um, I know I'll be I'll be fine with or without football. But like for my mom to have to see people like talk crazy about me, it's like damn, like you know what I mean? And yeah. you go to these other people's jobs and, and it's not trying to get on anybody else, but like I bet you they're not perfect, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But it, it's football is and sports in general is a way for people to kind of lash out and yep. to get no lash, no lash back, which is okay, you know what right. I'm saying? Because with me, I, and this is something I've learned since I've been in school, is it's like you have to accept the good with the bad. Yeah. You can't just accept the good. You can't ride the highs. You can't ride the lows. You got to stay even killed. So, um, but I definitely think that people don't know the work that we put in, the sacrifice. I, I'm 2,500 miles away from home. Yep. Like, I haven't seen one of my friend, close friends. In, a matter of eight months, you know what I mean, and it's tough, man. Like I, I don't, like I love Columbus with all my heart, but it's not home. Yep. It's my second home, but I miss home like a mug. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I came all this way to be a part of something. I wanted to be special, and I don't want anybody to feel bad for me. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I just, I don't think people realize, really realize, like to make to put a smile on somebody else's face. What I do on a daily basis, and like the the ego and the and the. And I don't, I don't have ego anyway because anything can get snatched from me at any time. But the the responsibility we have and the, and, the, and the ego we have to swallow, the pride you have to swallow just to be a person. You know what yep. I'm saying? And, and, be, and be good in the community because I can have somebody talk crazy to me in the game and then after I have to smile at everybody's face. And you know, even dealing with you guys sometimes, like, uh, I remember after the Penn State game, somebody said I played bad or something. And I was like, where did I play bad? And then I have to go talk to y'all right after. Right. It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, and that's fine because at the end of the day, it comes with the territory. Yeah. So I'm figuring out so many things as a man like that I, like, a lot of people didn't tell me growing up. But like, these, this is okay, this isn't. Yeah. Like, I had to figure a lot of stuff out on my own, which is, like, of course, I've had great men in my life. My mom has been a great help, great women in my life, um, great coaches, great, great people in general. Um, but I'm very independent, and I don't know. My mom kind of knows that about me, too. Is like okay. I don't accept help from a lot of people. Oh, and like, even because they know that, we're like – so, like, I, I choose to on my own to have to find ways to win. And, fire, and not, not even football, but just ways to win in life. And I've been like that since I've been a kid. So one of the categories we have here, we're going to do high point, low point, and turning point. So let's do low point. And, again, this is not chronological. It can be – you can have – wherever it happened is where it happened. This is my low point. I think my low point for him is after Tulsa into the Akron game at a time when it's like, hey, if Kyle McCord tears it up against Akron, I'm not sure where we are. I think that to me is the low ebb of him because you go from, he did throw for almost 500 yards against Oregon. As you said, Stephen, he did make some good throws. He also threw the pick at the end that Mm -hmm. iced that game. He didn't lose them that game. 
but he had a chance to save it and he didn't because it was his second career start. So Minnesota was bad first half, good second half. Oregon was a lot of good plays, doesn't get it done at the end. And then Tulsa's rough. And now he's not going to play Nathan. So to me, that's the low point. That's as bad as it got. What would you say is your low point for, for CJ Stroud, Nathan? So I actually considered that. And I think in real time, it certainly seemed that way. Uh, but the thing that then happened the next week against Akron was Kyle McCord went out and played fine, but not in such a way that you looked at that and thought, oh, he probably would have done the same thing CJ Stroud did against Akron. I think it re or Oregon. I mean, I think it reinforced where the separation was and, and it also that week off then allowed CJ Stroud to become who he was. Cause I mean, the, the, the three games after that, I don't know if people remember this, the three games have Rutgers, Maryland, IU. He completed 70% of his passes for 1,002 yards, so 10.5 per game, and a 14-0 TD interception ratio. And all of a sudden, it was just like, well, okay, yeah, there he goes. Like, <laughs> that's that's it. Um, we can talk more about that. In turn. I think that's more of the turning point. But the high, I would say the low point um, is after the second Michigan loss. Because mm-hmm. when you're talking about legacy, and that's what we were talking to him about primarily in that post-game press conference – and uh, I wouldn't use like the term nail in the coffin, but it was at least like the lid on the box of his legacy. Like if, because we didn't think he was going to play another game. Ohio State isn't going to the playoff now. And CJ Stroud's done as an Ohio State football player. And he's never going to play in a big 10 championship game. I guess technically in 2020, he was with the team, but like, he's never going to start a big 10 championship game and, and really play. And he's not going to play in a playoff game, let alone win either of those things. He's 0-2 against Michigan. Like, that and the way he talked after that game uh, was a lot of him saying not that he was it wasn't even necessarily self-critical it was simply saying I know what the standards are of success and not success if you don't want to use the word failure and I didn't achieve a lot of the minimum standards of success didn't play for a Big Ten championship didn't beat Michigan as a starting quarterback like and to me that is still the low point because it's the one factor really that is the big ding on his legacy never beating Michigan and no Big Ten championships because you still he did eventually because the way things worked out got to play in a playoff and and darn near won it but that is still maybe the most uh it's still the most conspicuously unchecked box for him and just the way just the you could just feel it that day that it felt like specifically for him, there was a lot at stake that day. And when it played out the way it did, um, it, it pulled something away from how he's going to be remembered. I, I agree with that. He talked like a guy who had come to terms with what he was. And I think we had all kind of come to terms with, well, this is it. He's a really talented dude who never really accomplished anything here. And that's kind of what it's going to be because we, there's no control left. We can sit here and speculate and talk about, oh, maybe Kyle McCord, if he lit it up, maybe he takes the job from CJ. Or maybe it becomes a competition all over again. We see Kyle McCord get real meaningful snaps against Rutgers and all that stuff. But we don't know that. For all we know, Kyle McCord could have just had an awesome day like we've seen Kenny Guyton do when he stepped in for Braxton Miller at times. But then when Braxton comes back, he gets the job back. CJ just gets the job back because that's completely in Ryan Day's control right there, more than anybody else. Ryan Day has no control at this point, whether or not C.J. Stroud is starting quarterback ever again, because it's completely on a game happening on the other side of the country, hoping that a team you just beat in the Rose Bowl can beat, you know, a, 
USC in the Pac-12 championship game. Well, also, if that doesn't happen, okay, well, maybe TCU loses. So maybe we get in that way. It was such a backdoor. This specific thing has to happen that this is it. And people don't like – they were already questionable about C.J. Stroud. They really don't like him at this point, and he knows it. And there's nothing he can do to – and maybe there's nothing he can do to change that. Especially – and I think what helps it be such the low moment is all that plus – the hole he had to climb out of by being as good as he was in that Peach Bowl. I don't think he could be a fraction off of that. If he's just normal C.J. Stroud in the, in the Georgia game and they lose by three points, it's like, yeah, but you do that all the time. He was awesome in every sense of the word. So it's a combination of how low you had to get, but also how high you had to climb to get him out of the hole. I just want to add real quick to the other thing that, was lost that day. It was the second year in a row where the Heisman trophy was there to be won and he didn't go win it. And he said like, he said it uh, after the 2021 or during the whole process of the 2021 Heisman. Yeah. I want to win this. Like I, I care about this award. I want this. I think it's attainable. I'm the Ohio state quarterback and I want to go win it. And it was two years in a row where it was kind of there in front of him and losing that Michigan game deprived him of really any chance to win it. Which is crazy to think about that this guy who was a two-time Heisman finalist might have ended his career on his low point that like on the graph of CJ starts CJ Stroud's career, it would have ended as low for the two of you as it had ever been, which is astounding to think about. And I think you both make good points on that high point. Then to me, Steven, what's your high point? As much as I want to put it on the Georgia game because of the way it's like, but he was the way it, like it sends him out on a high note and the number one pick and all stuff. He was already in the conversation for the number one pick anyway. That was the case back last spring. I think the Utah game, even if mm. it's some of that is against running backs, is the high point because it sets the tone for. Look at my last time we saw that team, they lost to Michigan, and they're about to lose two first round wide receivers who are now thousand yard receivers in the NFL. And they're going to lose all these other guys. So it's a lot of resetting a little bit here. And him and Jackson Smith and Jigba together decide to go crazy on Utah in a way that's like, oh, we're going to get 15 more games of this next year. Plus Marvin Harrison's coming along. Plus Emeka Buka's coming along. But it's like second year C.J. Stroud, we know can put up the numbers. He's going to have complete control of his offense. Plus his favorite weapons coming back. This kid's going to blow it out. I mean, we all said – 5,000 plus passing yards and, you know, Heisman Trophy and National Championship, all that was on the table just because you set the tone the right way against Utah. So, yes, there were some other games where the stats were just as heavy, but that felt like the necessary reset button that not only the program, but the fan base needed to be a little bit more optimistic heading into the spring. Nathan, what's your high point for CJ? You know, I, I considered the, the Rose Bowl game because of the national stage. It's just hard to pick it partially for me because so much of the conversation at that point was had nothing to do with the offense anymore. It was who they're going to hire. I guess they'd already actually hired Jim Knowles. But, like, there were changes. The whole defensive staff was changing over. And I think some of that got a little bit uh, obscured. I The one that I – the first thing that came to mind was the Michigan State game from 2021 where he was like, it's the most nightmarish version of CJ Stroud that a defensive opponent ever saw 32, 35, 432 yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. In the time that I've been covering this team, it's really the most perfect performance of quarterbacking that I've seen. But ultimately I think the answer has to be the peach bowl. 
because it immediately answered so many of those. Now, it doesn't fill in for beating Mich- not beating Michigan. It doesn't give you a Big Ten championship that you didn't win. But to perform the way he did against a team of that caliber, a defense of that caliber, under those circumstances, with the way the circumstances then continued to deteriorate throughout the game, losing Marvin Harrison, losing Cade Stover, you know, Matt Jones is banged up, other things are going wrong. And to, to have all those things in his way, potentially tripping him up, and yet to still have the ball in your hands with a chance to drive down and, and win that game against, and, and, and you would have interrupted what is at least a mini dynasty in college football with you know, back-to-back national championships. It just felt like a, an answer in a real way to the doubters that were there, whether it was real or perceived and whether they were legitimate or not, that to go out onto that field and perform the way he did that, it's the lasting impression. And it, it it's that. So yeah, you're right. Like it's how close did we come to having what we, Stephen and I would say would be his low point be, the the send off, but I think actually the send off, the real send off, ended up being the high point because that it showed you everything. He realized pretty much everything he could be, except for then the thing that is always going to put the roof on his legacy, which is they didn't win the game. So my high point is the Michigan State game in 2021. Six touchdown passes in the first half, 17 consecutive completions, which sets an Ohio State record. Because at that point, he's the Heisman front runner and he has not yet lost to Michigan ever. Mm. And there That's is an assumption. Really it's like, oh, well, I say beats Michigan. He's He just threw six touchdown passes in the first half, and now he's going to Ann Arbor to beat Michigan mm-hmm. so Ohio State can go to the Big Ten championship game so he can win the Heisman, and then they can go take on Georgia's defense and see what this looks like mm. and maybe win a national title. So when he leaves that field, in Ohio Stadium after the 11th game of the season. The Burrow trifecta is on the table for him. I guess not. It's just really the two. But the like national championship Heisman is right there, sitting in front of him, and then they go lose to Michigan. So to me, that's a peak that once you have a Michigan loss, it's even all the other things that you do, it's a little bit of a weight. It's like, can you climb quite as high because now you have a Michigan loss? So then we have, I have turning point as another category. Nathan, I actually have the last game of his career as the turning point, which makes mm. no sense. Well, but I feel like he turned his legacy in the final game he ever played, Nathan. What do you think of that? I think that is a really interesting argument to make because we're talking about legacy. We're not talking about career and performance, we're talking about legacy. And he he needed to turn the legacy for everything we just said about losing that second Michigan game at home. Uh, I ultimately picked, and I got ahead of myself, but it's it's coming out of that injury. And I I know you said pick like a game or a moment. It's really more that three game stretch where because after he got done just dusting through Rutgers, Maryland, and IU, there was no question that he was. You know, I, it was funny we when I was looking back through those old pods. I have to. There's no way to search it. You have to have to. Sc- to scroll back and we've done 1100 of these and we've done a whole lot since the start of the 2021 season. But like I found the podcast in September 21 where we had that post game Tulsa podcast. And then like three or four weeks later, you and I were having a Monday madness podcast about is CJ Stroud, the offensive player of the year, the big 10, like it, it was like that. It was just like he'd sw- he had flipped it. And I, from, so if you're talking about just 
where did if if the way you had phrased it was the the gamer moment that really set him on his path to stardom and i think if you're picking based on that formula you would probably pick maybe just the way you came out and torch rutgers or that three game stretch because at that point it was like okay well there's your starter as long as he wants to be here and as long as he stays healthy can you have a turning point steven as the last the last game of your career or what's your turning point i get how you got there but I actually used that 2021 Michigan State game as the turning point because we were seeing, to Nathan's point, Rutgers game on. But it's it's Rutgers. It's Rutgers. It's Maryland. Like These are not good footballs. Of course you did. They're still not. Of course you did that. Go do it against somebody good. And Penn State was okay. But it was the tradition. I don't know if I would say that he lit up Penn State. He was just quality against Penn State. Michigan State is a top 10 opponent, a team vying for a playoff spot. And C.J. Stroud spanked them and sent them home with their tails in between their legs very easily. And it's like after that, there's no questions. There's like, okay, you just beat a top 10 opponent and you did that to them in 30 minutes. You're clearly the highest trophy favorite. You're probably the best player in college football right now. You, Will Anderson, Bryce Young, that's the conversation at that point. And you're right. They had not lost to Michigan yet, and we have no reason to think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State. Why? Because for the last decade, Ohio State's been whooping Michigan's tail. So why would we think that? He's over the hurdle. The hurdle is Michigan State, top 10 opponent. That's the hurdle. You're done. Go win the Big Ten Championship game, and let's get on to Georgia with this thing. That's where I, I mean, that's where we all were. I think we did a great C.J. Stroud video, and I was like, and the and you asked me what was my grade. I said anything that wins in the Heisman Trophy because who's doing that? Even with Bryce, us knowing that Bryce Young might get Georgia, we're like, yeah, but Michigan is still the all State Michigan game is still like everybody's mind. It's still the coolest game in college football. He's going to wipe the floor with them. He's going to wipe the floor with Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game. This is over with. This is CJ's award to win. There's no more doubt. And I think that's why it's at the turning point for me is there was doubt because he started off iffy and then he starts playing well. So it's like, okay, but now can you do it against a good team? Against Pitt State, okay, can you do it though? Not Ohio State. Can you do it against a good team? You did it and then you did it against Michigan State. So we have no more doubts about you. And then you lose to Michigan, so of course things go awry. But at that point, I don't know if there's a moment where there were less doubts about CJ than there were after that 2021 Michigan State game. Because college game day's there. I think Big Noon was there. Everybody's there to watch him. And he kicked their butt pretty soundly in 30 minutes. Well, the, the Michigan State team that he torched had beaten Michigan. Like, we had just very yes. – already in our minds, as soon as that game was over, you're – I mean, we got caught looking ahead. We got caught looking ahead. Forget about the team. But I think everybody was like, well, if they're going to destroy Michigan State and Michigan State beat Michigan, transitive theory, and it didn't work out that way. Okay. When we come back, more categories ahead, four more, including describe C.J. Stroud in one word. We'll do it all next on Buckeye Talk. And honestly, I'm being honest with you, like, and I've said this before, is like, this is the hardest thing I could have done is come here to this yes. school. Because it's cold. No family. I don't really know anybody. Columbus, Ohio. Like I don't even know. I thought it was all cornfields. Like, this is the hardest thing. Like I, and then I already came in with Justin, two other really good quarterbacks. They transferred another quarterback in. Like, it was hard. Yeah. Still is hard to this day. So like, yeah. and that's something that I kind of pride myself on is like not taking the easy route out. That was my goal. Was the, whatever. What was the hardest school I could go to? That was what I was more. And then I don't care where it was. Back on our Buckeye talk, 
Legacy Podcast, What If He Hadn't Been a Buckeye? So this is from sort of both perspectives, right? What would have happened to CJ? What would have happened to Ohio State? And this was just covered because I don't, one of the things that might have happened to CJ is he might have gone to Georgia, yeah. right? Did Georgia kind of like to, like, we, we wrote about that, right? Who wrote about it? <laughs> Who wrote the story about Nathan, yeah. right? I mean, that was like, hey, like that, is that where we think in the end CJ would have ended up if he didn't pick Ohio State? Uh, just from what I remember from that, just talking with him, talking, Michigan finished a distant third in that conversation, and he really liked what Kirby Smart had, and Georgia had to offer. So I, I do think he would end up at, at Georgia over if, if Ohio State had not come into the picture. Because at that point, USC is still – and he's very much ready to get out. He's actually kind of ready to get out of California at that point, yeah. and so it, it probably would have been Georgia. When I wrote that piece about him and his uh... – youth coach, Willie Munford, we talked a little bit about, and because I hadn't talked to CJ about it, I didn't go down that road, but about some of the, he hinted at some of the, how bad things have gone for him as a kid and that there really was no chance that he was going to stay in California and go to college because he needed to get away and put all of that behind and put distance there. And I, and, and interestingly from things other people have been able to write, that distance has now kind of closed again. I think he has more relationship with his father in part because I think he kind of, got distance from it. And so it says a lot though, that, I mean, obviously he had to come to visits to Iowa state and Michigan. Those aren't close to home, but to go all the way to Georgia for a visit, uh, which he did says something Kirby smart had gone to visit him. Here's one thing uh, Kirby smart said uh, during the peach bowl was uh, he has a really good disposition about him. He's not real high, not real low, not real emotional. He keeps a really level head, which to me at quarterback is one of the number one qualities you can find. And that was an interesting thing to hear because what would you like pick as Stetson Bennett's number one trait that helped Georgia win a national championship the last two years? There's probably not like one specific like athletic thing you're going to pick. It's more about just being the guy in control of the moment and going out and executing and being reliable. And like, so see Kirby smart was already looking for that. He just would have gotten, I think argue inarguably a better version of that, if, with C.J. Stroud in, instead of Stetson Bennett. But I, I think Steven's right that that is where he probably would have ended up. And now you start talking about a really interesting trade-off there where like, well, Ohio State gets Justin Fields from Georgia and because of a decision that Kirby Smart makes partially and then mostly. And then now maybe he, though, would have been able to really change Ohio State history again by pulling C.J. Stroud in instead of having him go to Columbus. I have a question. Now that we know that Stetson Bennett has been a Heisman Trophy finalist, and Doug, you've talked about this. Athlete even wrote about it and talked to Munkin about it, the idea of how they kind of protect Stetson from himself sometimes. When he gets a little too far out there, they reel him back in and go, no, no, Stetson, we're going to run the ball. I don't think you have to do that as much with C.J. Stroud. And I am wondering, (laughs) one, C.J. Stroud might have back-to-back national championships right now if he goes because that defense still exists and he's still him. And the defense was a thing getting in his way the last two years. It wasn't the offense. So the num- I don't know if his, his numbers probably aren't as crazy, but they're probably getting him to New York given that Stetson got there. So, like, well, 
I don't know. Does he have a Heisman Trophy and two national championships? And are we talking about at least you guys on the on the um football survivor show? Is CJ Stroud one of the ten best quarterbacks in college football history? Because that's a heck of a resume. It's it's so interesting to think about because the one thing he wouldn't have at Georgia is actually three things, four things, five things. Is Chris Olave, Garrett yes, Wilson, yes. Jackson Pith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Mecca Buka. So Howard. you see Georgia win a very specific way, throwing yeah. the tight ends and running backs. Why? Is it because they don't have the receivers? Is it because that's what Stetson Bennett does best? Is it because their defense is so good? If you put a supremely talented, very accurate, super smart quarterback in there, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I think it's very possible that you're exactly right, Stephen, that we're talking about. Because the whole problem for Georgia the last two years is they didn't have a Heisman candidate. Mm-hmm. They were the best team, didn't have a Heisman candidate. So they didn't get anybody there last year, and this year Stetson Bennett finished fourth. Well, if CJ's CJ, there's your Heisman candidate. Because Todd Monken would have would have done things that brought out the best in CJ that is very different from what you do and don't do with Stetson Bennett. But I do think, and and CJ talks about this a lot, he picked Ohio State, right? He had a relationship with the guys, but he wanted to be developed as a quarterback. Because as you yeah. guys were saying, he didn't have 400 quarterback tutors on his way up. Guess who his quarterback tutor is? Ryan Day. Yeah. So I think he got that. So he didn't win a Heisman. He didn't win a Big Ten title. He didn't beat Michigan. He didn't win a national championship. There's a lot of didn'ts. But I think from a personal standpoint obviously there's a ton of team success here this is not a failed era of cj stroud they just didn't beat michigan this is not a failed era of cj stroud he's 21 and 4 as a starter there's a lot of fun saturday with cj stroud here but i do think nathan i think i think steven i could there's no chance that cj stroud would have beaten me out he would have been a fine backup for the last two years for the Georgia Bulldogs. And I would have tutored him in the best possible way. And perhaps he would have taken over next season in the shadow of Stetson Bennett, the fourth. They're both the fourths, by the way, are they not? Yeah, that yeah. would have united. How about that? But I do think, Nathan, for all the individual things, I think C.J. Stroud wanted to be developed as a quarterback. I think he came here and got developed as a quarterback. So that's nothing against Todd Monken, who I think dials it up awesome. But that was really key for him, Nathan. It's like, what are you thinking about? It's like, I want want to get to the league, and I want someone to, to make me the best quarterback that I can be. He didn't have the best defense on the other side of the ball that he could have for the past two years. But I think he got developed. So it is not a 100% success story all the way around. But I also was struck by Ryan Day and CJ Stroud sitting together at the postgame podium after losing to Georgia. It was just a small little encapsulation of their relationship. And I do think they are really crucial to each other. And I think that's a real relationship there between head coach and player. I think they were made for each other in a lot of ways. And so the what ifs of Stetson Bennett somewhere else are fascinating. But I think in a lot of ways, he did get out of this what he wanted to get, which was a guy who really helped him learn how to play the quarterback position. 
Well, yeah, but it, and even go back to like those what ifs I was talking about before. Like by the time C.J. Stroud was being heavily recruited by Ohio State, uh, Justin Fields is here, and if you're <laughs> he he started to develop a relationship with Justin Fields, yeah. even recruiting process. And if you're going to ask Justin Fields, for instance, hey, I'm also considering Georgia. What do you think about the comparison between Ohio State and Georgia? <laughs> That's going to be another pretty powerful voice in Ohio State's favor, right? So, uh, but I think it's like it's all motivations. Right. And, and I, you could make a strong case for CJ Stroud. Like if you wanted to achieve the ultimate in college football success in retrospect, Georgia was the choice to make, like (laughs) what they're doing right now is, is next level. But if you wanted to be the best possible NFL quarterback, you could be down the line. I would argue that he made the right choice. I agree with that. Cause it's, he's probably not a, just given Georgia's track record with quarterbacks right now, now that might start changing, but given his track record, he's probably not a first round draft pick after three years, even right. if he is a two year starter with two national championships, the same way he would be had he chosen as he did Ohio State or even decided to go to Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley. They've proven or Alabama, they've proven that they develop first round draft picks. So it, it, it's a it's very much a you can come here and you can be a number one draft pick and maybe you win some games, maybe you don't just given how things played out, or you go this path where you win everything under the sun, but you're probably a third round pick. And you, as we've seen with Jake Fromm, might not even be in the league for your entire rookie contract. But but someone has to be the first. And so his 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 legacy as a Georgia quarterback could have been very different. It could have been, yeah. now we're talking about where does C.J. Stroud fit into this emerging uh, um, narrative of what an Ohio State quarterback is and looking into the future of where that's going to be down the line. Whereas at Georgia, maybe he's the first one and it really takes off. Stafford. Yeah. And, yeah, right, right. So what happens to Ohio State, Stephen? If C.J. Stroud, you know, they call him, everybody says, Ryan, 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 you got to call this guy. Ryan Day calls C.J. Stroud. Hey, thanks for the call, but you're a little late to the party. With the way Jack Miller's now at Florida, Jack Miller started the bowl game for Florida because Anthony Richardson opted out on his way to the NFL. I don't know what Jack Miller is going to be. I guess, Stephen, do they wind up with a second, a different second quarterback in that class with Jack Miller, or do they wind up with a diff, with a, a second quarterback in the class with Kyle McCord, or do they wind yeah. up just with, with a, with a transfer somewhere? They would have had to add another body to that room, but who's Ohio State starting quarterback? In 2021 and 2022, if CJ Sarazo goes somewhere else, yeah, I mean Miller's going to be in a quarterback battle with Graham Mertz, so that's you know the battle of the noodles. I think that the thing about the Ohio State getting the guy late when they clearly need to go back into the quarterback recruiting world is they've gotten lucky with those two situations where the, a guy just happened to pop up who was their caliber, whether it's CJ in 20, whether it's Devin Brown in 22. Lincoln, maybe if he starts blooming in the summer and not in the fall, maybe he ends up being a top 100 recruit, but he's at least top 200. These guys were, okay, I could see why Ohio State offered them, just so happened to be there. I don't think there was another guy there in 2020. So you go into 2020 and you probably just have three, which is a little bit of a panic just because COVID Right. And that year, you probably want as many options as possible, but you at least still have three with Gunnar Hope, Jack Miller as, as Justin Fields as backups, but also you didn't know COVID existed at the time. And then I honestly just think Kyle McCord wins the job. I don't think Kyle McCord wasn't ready to play. He just wasn't more ready than CJ Stroud was. Cause I remember having conversations with him 
when like the idea when the season got canceled in 2020 was floated out there of what if we play in January? It's like, oh, wait, does that mean that like Jack Sawyer and Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor and, and Kyle McCord can all play? Yeah, it does mean that. And they had immediately when the season got canceled, Corey Dennis picked up the phone and Ryan Day picked up the phone immediately and called Kyle McCord. It was like, hey, you need to get ready because we're not sure what's happening. Nobody does. But just in case you might be here in January. Here's a playbook. Get ready to do a lot of this stuff. So he he wasn't as far behind as we like to, from a mental standpoint, as we like to say, he was just missing the physical reps, obviously. But he was ready to be the starter as a true freshman. He just didn't beat out CJ Stroud for the job. Now, does that mean the growing pains would have lasted until Rutgers? Maybe, or maybe not. Maybe it, from that standpoint, it would have been a lot of the same trajectory of Minnesota's eh, Oregon's eh. Tulsa's eh, and then finally it clicks for him against Rutgers. Maybe it's not – the ceiling isn't as high as what we saw from C.J. Stroud, but the floor, I think from a natural talent standpoint, would have been there. So I do think Ohio State would have been fine. We just would – as we mentioned earlier in the pod, we would have just seen a three-year starting quarterback. That is a tough world, though, Nathan, of thinking about a true freshman. It is. Starting at quarterback in 2021 for Ohio State. But the idea of Kyle McCord beating out Jack Miller, that certainly doesn't seem unusual. And if there's not another obvious guy there, I mean, I think I agree with the idea of we we probably are just looking at 2023 as year three of Kyle McCord. Here we go. Holy moly, this guy's going to rewrite the entire Ohio State record book. Yeah, the one thing that we, we don't know is if they look in the portal. Um in the way they did when they brought in Justin yeah. Fields, does that become more thing? You're probably not filling. You're probably not finding someone at that point in recruiting that would would fill that spot. But is there somebody out there who's switching teams who would who, who could come in and and take that job? I can remember that there was a name that I kept saying for a portal guy, just as like my portal name. I'm like, Ford. hey, yeah. <laughs> well, no, back then the guy that I said, and I actually said it because I thought oh, I could see it, was Brock Purdy. That was the guy I was in on of like Brock. I was like, who's Brock Purdy? That guy stinks. Who's Brock? I don't know. Brock Purdy. I feel much better about picking Iowa State to make the playoff in 2021. Now that Brock Purdy was a playoff quarterback. It's like, see, that's what I thought. I saw I saw it there. I saw it there. Then they went seven and six. Anyway, so I do think that idea that they would have been a little bit in scramble mode, though, because no matter how good Kyle McCord is at a place like Ohio State, it's I don't think it's anybody's plan to ever start a true freshman. But that's my that seems like maybe that's where they would have been. Well, yeah, but the exception, even the, Trevor Lawrence, I don't. Yeah, you're, you're going to say, say the same thing. The, I said, yeah, the right? exception is when it's a five star top 40, 50 kind of guy. Those guys, I think you do. Um, in, in normal circumstances, no, you wouldn't want that. And I don't think you necessarily want that because you preferably you've got a really good quarterback who is in like a second or third year. That's what Ryan day really wants the most. He wants guys who can be the starter for a, a, a prolonged period of time because you get the most out of them at the end of that. But if you had to turn it over, at least they, at least they would be turning it over to someone who was the pick of the country. It's not like it's just the guy you happen to have. But even with that, I, I do think I was going to go there. So I agree with that, but just the, the only counterpoint to that is, I mean, if Deshaun Watson was in year three in 2018, Trevor wouldn't have taken him out. He just sat behind him for a year, right? So it, there is a it's, – it's a combination of – it was their plan because the dude they had in front of them was not the plan. He just – yeah. Clemson was just so good that they made the playoff anyway. So if it's, it's, if it's two plans, then everything is cool. It's like if 
you know, if Quinn Ewers would have sat behind CJ this past year and then taken over next year, even if we were all, even if Ewers Island all existed, no one would have batted an eye, even if he was a highly rated dude, because he's, he's sitting around. It's a dude who's sitting behind a dude. It's only a thing where it's like, oh, yeah, the true freshman should be the starter when the guy who's in front of him, regardless of what he's done, isn't a dude, which is part of why you we, we all kind of, in different levels, got to a point of maybe C.J. Stroud's not the dude. Let's see what Quinn Ewers is doing. Is he practicing mm. this week? Because mm. if C.J. would have been a dude, we would have shut up about Quinn until the spring. Yeah, right. Let's do one word. Nathan, what is your one word? to describe C.J. Stroud and his legacy? (laughs) Picking one word is not really a Buckeye talk strength. We like to use a lot of words. (laughs) I I almost went with smooth, which I thought was sort of true in personality for him and in style of play, but not in his path and not in his legacy. It's not smooth. It's complicated, and that's what we've been talking about. So the word that I eventually settled on, and I hope you'll let me take a little bit of a walk here, is Marino. Because I was trying to encapsulate what it means to be this proficient mm. of a passer, but to not really have any of the team benchmarks to go along with it. Because I think that encapsulates his career. You know, Dan Marino, uh, phenomenal passer. Uh, the, go back and look at the first four years of his NFL career with the Dolphins. It's insane. But he played 17 seasons, and there were only six years of 10-plus wins. It was it was largely a whether it was his fault, whether that was the program's fault, uh, his greatness, his passing greatness wasn't enough to lift the whole franchise above the other issues it had. And at the end of the day, I think you look at CJ's career and I know, again, I know you did this with, with Shahan on, uh, to some extent on, on the, the survivor pod, but it's still, and I said this right after the Michigan game, that this seems more like a missed opportunity for Ohio state to have CJ for two years and not accomplish more because of what are largely failures around him, other side of the ball, those sorts of things, um, than it is CJ's career, CJ's performance, effort, whatever, ultimately being a letdown. I think it's more a missed opportunity for the entire program that it had CJ Stroud and everything he could do as a passer and football player and leader and all those things and didn't better capitalize on it. Marino, Steven, what's your name? Uh, what's your name? Steven, Doesn't what's your name? name? My name's Steven, Doug. What's your word? Nathan really pulled out the thesaurus for this one, huh? <laughs> um, I, so, because, I went with convoluted because it is, everything about it is, it's, it's a funny way to say complex. It, everything about his situation is complex from why he's here in the first place to how he got the job. The fact that he didn't throw a pass the first year is complex because it's not as simple as just, well, Ryan Day didn't want his quarterback to throw anything. It's because they played eight games and they weren't sure if they were going to get in the playoff or not with that many games and COVID. That's complex. The He is, his numbers are literally everything Ryan Day promised that he was going to do here as a quarterback guru. I'm going to show up here and I'm going to produce NFL quarterbacks. And what Dwayne did in a year set the tone and Justin is great, but they recruited CJ, they developed him, and now they're sending him out the door as a first-run draft pick. He is the 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 not perfect, but he is what you they want to do here with quarterbacks. Recruit him, develop him, send him out, and make sure Roger Goodell says their name on the first day. That's what they want to do, and he's gonna be all of that. The numbers are great, but he didn't win anything. 
the only quality football program he beat in his time here was Penn State. He lost to Oregon. Uh, it may be Notre Dame, but they're even in a coaching transition. So even that's got some complex complexity to it right there. They lost to Georgia. They lost to Michigan twice, and they lost to Oregon. He didn't win any of the big games, but he's got all the stats in the world. And so it's it's almost two different conversations of, from a legacy standpoint, who are the greatest quarterbacks in Ohio State history versus who are just the best from a raw talent standpoint. One of those, it's very easy to put him on the list. The other one, some people might look at you side-eyed for even thinking about bringing up his name. I did thinker. I think college football is, isn't like the NFL. I think the NFL, the things that I do, the NFL is more like that, where it's like, as a quarterback, you have to solve a lot of problems yep. before it happens. And I feel like I, I, I take pride in doing that because it makes the job, the coach's job easier. And honestly, I think I, I'm not saying they, they give bad plays, but sometimes they don't know what's out there because they're not out there. Yep. And I can kind of solve bad plays and, to, and not make them worse. It just, and just really, we've had a lot of success on those bad plays for some odd reason. And I think that because the, the, the work we do beforehand and, and Coach Day and Coach Wilson, Coach Dennis, uh, Coach Key, Coach Fitch definitely helped uh, with that, with my process of thinking. And um, I kind of go through every scenario. So um, if something does break down or they go crazy and go zero blitz, I have an idea of what I want to do. Because um, you don't want to get caught out there and like, damn. And a lot of quarterbacks are really good. And I feel, I think I have that talent as well as where yeah. if that does happen, I can still make a play. Yes. And I just don't do it as much as everybody else because I get I get the problem usually fixed and I can usually see it. And so I usually get it, get it fixed before it happens make the right call, run the right routes, and we usually get the first down or get the touchdown, whatever the case may be. And sometimes it doesn't work like that. Yeah. So But they see John they see like Johnny Manziel. Yeah. They see the people like that. And then I, I look at Burrow, like Burrow is kinda like that as you is like, okay, he was making some crazy throws. Like I feel like the throws I make too are crazy sometimes. And um but it was a lot of things that were very routine and people are like, oh that's easy. Like, no it's not. It's like uh I gotta think I got to think before the defensive coordinator thinks about it. Then I got to think after he thinks about it. Then I got to think about the middle linebacker, what he's thinking. I got to think about the corner, his leverage. I got to do this, this, and that just to make one play work. And then I'm on to the next, and it's over with. So, um, yeah, it might not seem spectacular like I'm not doing anything crazy. But honestly, like, in the eyes of the public or in the eyes of the building and the Woody, they're like, damn, like, you really made that happen, which is kind of cool. And I think that, to me – covers both on field and off field CJ with what we talked about. I think is that I think it's why he is a successful quarterback. His number one thing is his brain. I was going to do brain at first, but then thinker also takes into this is a guy that takes in the whole world for good and bad, right? He is a real dude who really thinks about football and life and he studies and he works hard and he takes everything into account. So I think you know, sometimes guys are like football monsters, right? And I like like football monster is great. It's like football, blah, 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 blah. And I don't like I, that's not how I think of CJ. I mean, he's a football monster because he'll go in and watch, you know, ten hours of film to break down what a safety's doing. But like he's he takes it all, right? He's like he's a man of the world, and he and then um, I think he takes that onto the football field. So thinker was where uh, I went with my one word, but I thought we had three. Three interesting individual words there. Steven, exceed, 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 meet, or not quite hit expectations. 
compared mm-hmm. to what we thought he would be, which is what expectations are. So above, equal, or below expectations of when he signed and got here to Ohio State? This is another complex question. I would say meet because I think his individual talent is exactly what people told you he was. Um, regardless of the team success or not, him as an individual team success, because he's a quarterback, the team success matters. I get it. But if you just think about it as any other position from a talent standpoint, he is a guy with an accurate arm that typically makes the right decisions and he makes them efficiently and he can pile up the numbers efficiently. He's exactly that. And he lived up to that part, regardless of like what it actually led to on the scoreboard. So I'd say meet. What do you say, Nathan? I'm also meet. It can't be exceed because the bare standard, the minimum standard for Ohio State quarterbacks is that you beat Michigan ever, especially when you have multiple shots at it, that you play for or that you win Big Ten championships, let alone play in the Big Ten championship game. Like Again, like I, as much as I say that it's a missed opportunity f- uh, for the for the entire program to have him and not accomplish those things. He still doesn't have any of those things on his resume. And I don't think that you can say that he exceeded when uh, on his watch for the first time in a long time, they were falling short of a lot of those basic standards. So, but you, what he did on the field was impressive, but wasn't necessarily a surprise because he had he had hinted that that he was this kind of player. I mean, he had risen in the rankings, was getting evaluated in that way on his way into college, and lived up to them. And as we said, there was dispute three games in whether that was happening, but then he course corrected and became the prolific, respected uh, purveyor of passing that he became over the next two years. Quick thing, real quick: when you said bear for a second, I thought you said bared standard. Here you go. Oh man, you got your quarterback grading system over here. I'm unveiling that. Hey. On, come back for tomorrow's pod. <laughs> the beard rating. It's mostly about. So it's mostly about I what kind act- of beard you can grow. Oh, the beard beard rating. No, that actually would make sense. Yeah. I actually was thinking exceed, and I think that's because I really, I I really, I think I personally did not have high expectations for him. I was all over Quinn Ewers. Kyle McCord was also a five-star. This guy shot up the ratings late. He was a late ad. He didn't seem super athletic to me. He's not Justin Fields. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't even know if he's going to keep the job for his whole first year. Like, I don't know. So that's my miss. But then what? So it's like, oh, Doug, hey, two-time Heisman finalist. What do you think? What? I don't I would vote no on that. So I think he exceeded what I thought he would be because, again, I I wasn't there with him. And then once I got it, then I was kind of all in. I'm like, oh, wait, no, this guy's a brain. So but I, I, I can't disagree with what you guys are saying, right? That like you're going to exceed when you're on two against Michigan. Like, what are you talking about? So I don't know. But also part of me and this is I'm just on this. Like sometimes good teams lose and sometimes good teams lose. And it doesn't mean that you are not an extraordinary individual player who far, far, far more often than not performs at a very high level. And so I've, I'm really, I'm not struggling with it. it, it just having 
now covered two straight years where Ohio State was a very good football team that lost to Michigan. I really am sort of evolving on just sort of how I view success and one game defining you and all those kind of things. And so that affects my interpretation of this. But I would bet I didn't put this particular, this would have been a good one to put out to the texters. We're going to get the texters here in a second. Nathan, this would have been a good one to put out to the texters. I bet there would not have been many exceeds from the texters in a vote like this, because I think they would be much more in line with where you and Steven are. Yeah, I mean, they've seen quarterbacks win Big Ten championships, including multiple Big Ten championships. They've seen quarterbacks not just beat Michigan, but beat the rails off of them. And this is all just recent history. They've seen quarterbacks go in and win playoff games. They've seen the ones who can remember Troy Smith have seen them win the Heisman Trophy, not just be a finalist. So again, the standard is is really high. And he came in, I, I hear all the things you're saying, but it the dynamic there is it was this moment in history where Ohio State is just jamming as many top shelf quarterbacks as it can get into that room at one time. So the fact that he emerged the way he did at the time he did was not surprising. He had a year head start on Kyle McCord. So it wasn't even so much that he was beating him out. It was that he just kept the lead he already had, as we talked about at the start of this. So again, I just think that this, all of the other, it's not just what you expected from CJ Stroud because he's the quarterback. It's what you expect the Ohio state quarterback to accomplish over the entirety of his time there. And again, there's just, there, there's too many boxes unchecked, I think, to say exceed. I think the one thing that is going to be interesting, we are now two straight new quarterbacks and Doug Lamarise has been low. When Justin Fields was the new starting quarterback, he said they would go nine and three. When CJ Stroud took over, he said he might not have the job by the end of the year because an 18 year old who's supposed to be in high school is going to take it from him. I am very excited when Kyle McCord or Devin Brown wins this job for the eight and four season that is coming upon hmm. us this year. No, 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 no. It's no, tradition no. at this point to doubt the new starting quarterback. I love it. But I do think one thing I do agree five with. And seven, you, five and seven. Yeah. Five and seven. Tough schedule. Tough schedule this year. All in, baby. Yep. I think that you mentioned it a little bit. Good teams lose. And thanks to Michigan's incompetency for most of the last decade, that is not true in this rivalry. And based on Ohio State's incompetency for most of the 90s when it came to big games, that was also not really that true. If this is what we're going to get now, where both Ohio State and Michigan are playoff caliber teams, which that even that definition is about to change in 12 months of what a playoff caliber team is. But the point is, it's two teams who realistically have shots at winning a national title or at least making deep playoff runs and winning the Big Ten every year. Then that statement for Ohio State is going to be. And plus, USC is coming into the Big Ten now. Texas and Oklahoma are about to be in the SEC. The concept of good teams lose does hold a little bit more merit. So it sucks for CJ because he didn't beat Michigan at all. And he's still living in this world where it's not normal for Ohio State to lose to Michigan. But if it's 2028, and let's just say, I don't know, this is not true at all right now. He just got the offer like a month ago. But but if Julian Lewis, 2026 quarterback, is one and one against Michigan by the time 2028 rolls around, he's time to get out the door as an Ohio State quarterback. Do we view it differently? Then we would have viewed it in 2017 if 
uh, JT Barrett had a loss to Michigan or if Braxton Miller or, or Dwayne Haskins or Justin Fields had losses to Michigan because both of these teams are now good. And so the concept of good teams lose to good teams sometimes holds a little bit more merit. And so we don't hold it against guys as much in a conversation like this while still respecting what the rivalry is. So this is, I mean, this is a legacy conversation. This is not a ranking conversation. We'll we'll do a slight ranking yeah. conversation in a second. So I understand. So all these things absolutely do factor in. But if Tyvis Powell doesn't intercept the two-point conversion pass in 2013, mm-hmm. Braxton Miller could easily have a loss against Michigan. If the ref spots the ball 10 inches further back in 2016, JT Barrett could have a loss against Michigan. If Dwayne Haskins doesn't, come in and play well in 2017 when JT Barrett's hurt. JT Barrett might have a second, could have two losses against Michigan. Um, if Ohio State doesn't blow a bunch of coverages this year against Michigan, maybe CJ Stroud has a win against Michigan. Now, of course, they also didn't score enough in the second half. I mean, we understand that. But if Ohio State gets the third down, right, at, early in the second half last year at Michigan, like does CJ Stroud. So sometimes it's like, to me, if you said, and I understand that, it d- depends what the offense is, the coach, the people around you. But who would you take? Ohio State, pick a quarterback. Who would you rather have? Braxton Miller, JT Barrett, or CJ Stroud? Mm-hmm. I'd take CJ Stroud. Now, does that mean CJ Stroud's legacy is as good as JT Barrett or Braxton Miller? That's a different conversation than is he a better quarterback? Mm-hmm. But it's not a completely different conversation. So that's part of me, Stephen, where I, that's where I sometimes pull back on. I don't know. Like, are we like, we're holding like that. The way we view that player is based on what Curtis Samuel did in the second overtime versus the fact that Michigan blocked up that Blake Corum run last year and Ohio state didn't have any defenders who could make a play. And that affects our view of, JT Barrett and CJ Stroud, that's where I struggle sometimes. Yeah, and that's why I, I said it earlier. They're two different conversations. It's, and CJ is the perfect person to have it with because he embodies it. There is a kind of who's the greatest because that's a legacy resume, things that, quite frankly, even though we make wins and losses a quarterback stat, they don't have complete control over that because they're not on the field half the game and they only play one position and they can only play it as well as. Somebody blocks something up for them or a guy. I mean, if their wide receivers suck, then it doesn't it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is, how talented he is. But then there is a just rank who the be, who the best quarterbacks are. Just raw talent. Like if I lined up all these quarterbacks and we started drafting them, who are you taking first, who are you taking second, who are you taking third and on down the list? Regardless of how you feel about C.J. Stroud and the losses to Michigan and the not Big Ten championship games and sometimes he didn't run, whether it was him or Ryan Day telling him not to, whatever. Think about it for two seconds. The only quarterbacks where I would firmly probably take over him, just when we're talking raw skill set talent for what it was in their era, are Troy Smith and Justin Fields. Everybody else, and Dwayne Haskins is even a conversation of, okay, maybe you take Dwayne over CJ, but I think CJ's a better athlete than Dwayne. So even then I might take CJ. But everybody else are not better quarterbacks than CJ. They just got better resumes because, as you listed out, other people did their job as well as he was doing it. They were doing theirs. But but your legacy is your legacy. It's it's the opportunity you had. It's the schedule that was in front of you. It's the teammates that you had and what you did with them. I guess that goes into opportunity. But, you know, C.J. Stroud had two years 
of the best receiving core in the history of Ohio State football. So all, those things mm-hmm. factor into it too. And that's why, you know, individual legacy is, is encapsulated. Like what did, you know, you maybe had some adversity that another guy didn't face. You maybe had a better team in your way than another team, but you also had opportunities and advantages that other guys didn't have. I think some of those things cancel each other out. So I don't know if it's as complicated to, at the end of the day, say, especially when you had multiple shots at it, that not beating Michigan at all it's not necessarily that it it takes something away from you, but of all the guys who've done this, as you're checking off boxes, yours is still unchecked. So just a quick couple stats before we get to our last category. Uh, PFF does do an NFL QB rating. It's like what the NFL uses to rate quarterbacks. And CJ Stroud in both 21 and 22 was first in the country both years. And in PFF grade, which is their own grade that's like a 90 or an 80 or a 70 or a 60 or whatever. Uh, in 2021, he was third overall and third among Power 5 quarterbacks. In 2022, he was ninth overall, seventh among Power 5 quarterbacks. So his PFF grade uh, went down a little bit. Um, he made 27 big-time throws, which was sixth among Power 5 quarterbacks in 2021. He made 29 this year, which was third among Power 5 quarterbacks. I, I do think sometimes, and again, we understand, I think we all agree on sort of what this amorphous legacy discussion is. I think sometimes CJ is underrated. Mm-hmm. Sure. That when you say, oh, he had the best quarterback rating in college football by the NFL standard each of the last two years. Is is that what it feels like people think? I don't I don't know, because I do think there's a... I think it kind of goes back to the brain thing a little bit, Nathan, of like his, the things he does most, he doesn't have the most spectacular highlights and he is surrounded by talent. And so then it's like, okay, even that itself, oh, NFL rating. Well, I don't know. Maybe a lot of guys would have that rating if they were throwing to Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Scarrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Or maybe not. I don't know. I, I do think it's possible in the end. And the last category is where he fits in. I don't know if there will be a reevaluation. Everything somebody does affects how we look back on them. If he's Tom Brady, mm-hmm. he's going to be remembered as a legend. If he goes tears it up in the NFL for two decades, everyone's going to be like, oh, CJ, oh, CJ, oh, love that. Oh, that guy loved him. If he's good, but not great. Then I think the discussion will more be like, yeah, you know, he was good there. He never be missing it though. And if he does not have a good NFL career for whatever reason, then I think all of a sudden CJ Stroud, the big number quarterback who never won anything becomes much more of what he is. So the future will affect this Nathan, which is why I like doing this now. But I think right now he might be underrated in sort of the general view of him. I think maybe inside the fan base and outside the fan base. Cause I think inside the fan base, he didn't beat Michigan outside the fan base. He has all these great receivers. A lot of people could do that. You know, we've seen in other sports, especially someone like me, that's a baseball nerd that over time, as things get more analytical uh, and analysis driven, that there's a greater appreciation for some players. And I think that that hasn't really happened yet in college football. And I think he's the kind of guy that that could happen with because of the things that you're pointing out is every time I've tried to talk about him, uh, and really in, in players in general, but I tend to go for more 
you know, here's what he does per game. Here's what you do per attempt. You know, those are the things because sometimes those big numbers, the whole numbers can be a little bit, what do I want to say? Like misleading. So, and in his case, those numbers are actually still pretty good too. In, in some cases, especially individual games. But I think there's going to be a greater appreciation for his efficiency, his precision, and the way that he helped as for the entire offense get the most. Again, it kind of comes back to the missed opportunity for the whole program. Like you had all these receivers here, and then you had this guy here who was the best possible quarterback at that moment anywhere probably to distribute the ball to those guys. He made you you had Olave, Wilson and and Jackson Smith the Jig by all having some version of like all America seasons in 2021. You bring Marvin Harrison back for the monster can, unanimous all-American season he has and Emeka Buka gets a thousand yards. Like you're turning like how many receivers did he help make a star in just a two year span? I think that is also part of his legacy and it's something that's going to hold water. I think more in the long run that yes, like all these receivers cycled through here, but really because of what happened with Smith and Jigba this past year, it's, it's too, it's not like he had, one set of receivers that was great for two or three years. It was a whole turnover as far as his starters this year. And he made them look pretty great too. I think a lot of the Ohio state quarterbacks are going to run into this issue. There's always going to be the, you know, is it the talent or is it the quarterback with, with Ohio state quarterbacks? Cause the wide receivers are so ridiculous and the offense is what it is. We're, we're seeing it with Justin Fields. Now as a thrower, we knew Justin Fields could run, but he's like let loose in Chicago in a way that Ryan Day never really let him loose. And it's not even like the fact that he has a thousand yards. It's he's dusting NFL players and making them look slow. And it's like, Oh, he's that fast. I think CJ might have a little bit of that. I think he needs the NFL just as just cause there's, he makes NFL throws at this level, but you get so caught up in the throws where it's like, Oh, Garrett was five yards open. Chris is five yards open. It's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Marvin Harrison Jr. Is a freak. Of course, Marvin caught that pass. So it's so after the fact. When you go back and rewatch the game, it's like, that's not a normal throw. He pinpointed that in a place where nobody should be catching that ball, and yet it's perfect. There's gonna he's gonna have to do that a lot more often in the NFL because the talent gap isn't gonna be so crazy. And so maybe you appreciate it more at that level in a way that just because the talent is different, you're never gonna appreciate it at the college level. And it might end up being the same thing for Devin Brown and Kyle McCord and whoever's next on the list just because Ohio State's wide receivers are so much better than basically everybody. They, they were better than everybody that played this year, and that includes Michigan and, and Georgia, that you don't really appreciate the quarterback play until they get away from those guys. But I do agree with Nathan's point that every time C.J. Stroud lost a receiver, he created a star. Back to when they lost Garrett Wilson for the Nebraska game, and all of a sudden Jackson did the jib but can get 15 catches for 250. But we won't appreciate it until he gets drafted. And we see it for the next three or four years, him making some of those throws he maybe only had to make one or two times a game at Ohio State. Now he's making them six, seven, or eight times in a playoff game to win a divisional round. I think the smaller the windows get, the better CJ might be. Yeah. And a guy that that CJ, and they're not exactly the same, but a guy that CJ brings up a lot is Joe Burrow. And you watch the AFC championship game and people are talking about Joe Burrow, putting it right on guys' hands and tiny Mm -hmm. windows and anticipation and all those kind of things. And again, they are different players in some ways, but I can see people having NFL conversations about CJ Stroud in the same way. All right, we're going to wrap it up with where does he fit in? Where does he fit in in the history of Ohio State football? 
And this goes back to what we started the podcast with, which is our quarterback, Mount Buckmore, from July of 2021. And as you said, Stephen, back then, we had some disagreements. We all put Troy Smith on our Mount Buckmore. We all put Justin Fields there. Braxton Miller made it for Stephen, for me, and for the Texters. JT Barrett made it for the Texters and for Nathan. Rex Kern made it for me and for Nathan. And Joe Germain made it for Steven. So we had six quarterbacks for four spots. Agreement on two of them. And we talked then about the idea of there's an opening here. There's an opening here. And that, you know, depends how you look at it and like who the guy is. But I started off with the statistical argument for C.J. Stroud, right? And that the statistical argument here, second in touchdown passes, second in passing yards, first or second in a lot of the efficiency metrics, Nathan, right, that you're talking about, not just accumulation, but by game, right? Super, 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 super high. I also, I asked the texters about that. I went back and asked the texters to rank the top 10 Ohio State quarterbacks. And let me get the exact phrasing I used because the word legacy changes the discussion somewhat from best. It's like, it's not who's the best quarterback, it's who has the best legacy. And I acknowledge that a lot of this is amorphous and confusing. The word I used specifically here was rank these Ohio State quarterbacks in order with the best legacy on top. Here's the order that our texters put out. Number one, Troy Smith. Number two, Justin Fields. Number three, JT Barrett. Number four, Cardale Jones. Number five, Craig Krenzel. Number six, CJ Stroud. Number seven, Rex Kern. Number eight, Braxton Miller. Number nine, Dwayne Haskins. And number 10, Joe Germain. So CJ Stroud finishes sixth on that list of 10. I didn't include Terrell Pryor. I didn't include Art Schleister, who are the, probably the next two guys to put in there. Sixth on that list. And then I asked Texters this. Rate C.J. Stroud's career at Ohio State on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is low, 10 is high. Use any criteria that you want, but we'll ask this for every player legacy that we do and use it as a benchmark to compare them. That's why we want to do this. So this is the first one that I think encourages people to maybe leave some room right? For someone you might think is even better than CJ Stroud. So maybe people aren't handing out a million tens in this situation. Nathan, what would you give CJ Stroud on a scale of one to 10 by this definition? Man, it's tough because again, those unchecked boxes for team things, but like what Ohio state needed him to be, you know, to like, (laughs) his legacy i mean honestly did something every team strives to do you like you go to the other side of the country you find a quarterback you bring him here you develop him and he successfully pursues his ceiling and does so many great things but then you don't win anything like not like any championship other than one rose bowl so seven you give him a seven steven what would you give him low though i'm gonna give him a nine I just, and maybe some of this is because I know the context of why some of those other things didn't happen because I covered it. But I mean, from a, I don't, he might not be the most talented of the guys on that list, but I think when it came to like 
the core, what a quarterback is from a throwing anticipation, all that stuff that you hear, like even players when they're talking on uh, NFL Live talking about a lot of the times. I think he did a lot of that stuff better than those guys. And he has the stats to back a lot of that up. So I'll, I'll give him a nine. So I would give him a nine also. And I do think it's, I understand by saying he didn't win anything. They did win a spot in the playoff. True. Where they had the opportunity to take on the defending national champ and play them down. If Noah Ruggles makes a field goal, is just is CJ Stroud higher on this list? Like this is the kind of thing we're to get yeah. to, right? But and, and we talked about how important that getting to play that Georgia game. Certainly, we would be having a different conversation if they had never played that Georgia game. So there's there's a lot that goes into this. I was surprised at how low the Texters rated him, seven point four seven, which I would have guessed it was over eight. The most popular answer is eight. Thirty-eight percent of the people gave him an eight. Thirty-five percent of the people gave him a seven. Not a lot of nines and very few tens. Not even f- like three percent tens. So I am a little surprised by this, but I think it is telling us something about a reset of the reset. Because there was post-Michigan C.J. Stroud, which would have been lower than this. And then there was immediate post-game Georgia C.J. Stroud, which was, he's changed my mind. I view him differently. He did something. He showed me something. That was the overwhelming response we got from texters. And now it's both. And now I do think, Stephen, we are officially at the legacy is, man, that guy balled out and nearly beat the two-time national champs. He did it throwing. He did it running. He did it being tough. He did it being smart. He did it being a leader. He sat up there with his coach in defeat and took it and was was the embodiment of a Buckeye. But he's also 0-2 Michigan, and I'm not forgetting that. He also never won a Big Ten championship, and I'm not forgetting that. And so I do think it has settled here sixth on this quarterback list, Stephen, and a 7.47 legacy rating, it has settled a little lower than I would have thought because I think I thought maybe it it was more of a permanent change after the Georgia game. And I wouldn't call it a momentary change, but it did not make people forget the other things that Ohio State did not win with him. And that's where we are. I get it. Totally. Um, I think his four losses are the epitome of why he is this. And you just said he balled out in his, I mean, his, the Oregon loss, he had 484 yards and three touchdowns. The Michigan loss, he had 394 yards and two touchdowns. The second Michigan loss, 349 yards and two touchdowns. The Georgia loss, 348 yards and four touchdowns. He was balling. He did his thing. And all, and I, I even kind of this was my headline at the end of the Georgia loss. He did everything, and it wasn't enough to actually win the game. Whether it's his, whether you think it's his fault or not, everything he did was never enough to get over that hump and win the game. And so that combination, once you get over the hyperbolicness of oh, he never beat Michigan, how dare he never beat Michigan? He's the worst quarterback we've ever had. And then you also get over the high of oh, look how great he was against Georgia. Man, he's awesome. Once you get past all of that, this is where you get to with it. We have a quarterback who 
as awesome as he is, it wasn't quite awesome enough. And a lot of the other guys that they're thinking about were awesome enough to win that game, even if their individual awesome wasn't as good as his individual awesome. It still won them the game. And this the is the business of wins and losses, baby. Yeah, the thing that's still hanging out there for Stroud and for Fields too, but like that's that's different than all those other guys on that list, is the other thing that they can bring to Ohio State that no quarterback has been able to do really ever, which is get to the next level and fall out there and have great success in the NFL as a quarterback. And this fan base, it's that's not their primary thing. They want to beat Michigan first. They want to win national championships, Big Ten championships. That's 75% or more of what they care about. But that is still the thing that can bring his legacy up is if you get out there and you can finally say to Michigan fans, to other fans in the Big Ten, to Clemson fans, whoever, USC fans, like, oh, no, like we've got guys who get in the NFL and do this too. That is still one thing that's missing. And this fan base, there is a hunger to some extent from this fan base for somebody to finally do that. So, uh, you know, Fields took a small step in that direction this past year, but they still got the number one pick overall for a reason. And he has to run a lot for a reason. He's also because he's doesn't have much around him and isn't, but isn't, wasn't throwing the ball all that well. So that's still progress, progress he has to make. And Fields, if he gets in the right program, sorry, Stroud, if he gets in the right franchise, can maybe accelerate that a little bit and bringing that next level of respect back to this position at Ohio State. So this is not about Buckmore podcast. It is a Buckeye Talk Legacy podcast. But I so I'll ask for a short answer on this because at some point, I mean, why do we do Mount Buckmore? We did it so we could blow it up and redo it again. So we will at some point. But right now, my Mount Buckmore was Troy Smith, Justin Fields, Rex Kern, and Braxton Miller. I would take off Braxton Miller and put on CJ Stroud. I would put him in, in my top four. Steven. Your Mount Buckmore was Troy Smith, Justin Fields, Braxton Miller, and Joe Germain. Would you now have C.J. Stroud on your Mount Buckmore? There's enough. I take off Joe Germain just because I think there's enough comparisons into what they – like big stack guys who really struggled against Michigan and Joe Germain didn't win until his last time against them. Got three shots. C.J. got one, got two. So there's enough similarities that I'm going to go with the guy who I just think is better. So I'd replace Joe Germain with C.J. Nathan, your Mount Buckmore was Troy Smith, Justin Fields, Rex Kern, and JT Barrett. Would you put CJ Stroud on your Mount Buckmore now? I don't think today that I would. I think I would still keep those four guys. But I think the honest way to do these things is to say five years, your perception changes. You have a different perspective on what you just saw. And he'll have, by then done what I was just talking about as far as what his, his next level performance is, which is a small part of, of your of your overall legacy. So I'm completely open to rethinking that in, in five years or however many years down the line. Uh, maybe it's one, maybe it's five months and, and thinking that uh, he deserves to be on there. But right now I would still keep those other guys on there for either the, for what they had more of as a combination of accolades, performance and team achievements. And I do think it's it's part of, hey, you know, you're great now. That affects perception backwards. But also it's, it's a thing. It's it's confirmation or disputing what you think you thought the first time around. And so, you know, we're as we said, we're running through a lot of great Ohio State quarterbacks here, none of whom tore it up in the NFL. So there's a chance for somebody to, to change that and be like, oh, like I said, I think CJ is viewed as underrated. If he's 
a pro bowler for the next 10 years, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, we saw this at Ohio State. We just didn't appreciate it enough. If he's not, then that's going to change things. So in the end, I think we've properly adjusted, uh, uh, discussed, and assessed the legacy here, Nathan. Yeah, I was going to say there's one other thing out there that is going to affect C.J. Stroud's legacy, whether it's fair or not. And it's what does Ohio State's quarterback look like in 2023? And 2024, but but th- what what follows him? Because right now we're we're looking at him as being in the line of of progression from Haskins to Fields to Stroud, and they're just passing this torch. If that torch doesn't get passed, uh, isn't, isn't as bright when it gets passed this fall for whatever reason, then that'll make Stroud again. It just changes the perspective a little bit. Yeah, there's no better way to appreciate somebody than for the guy replacing him to not be as good. So sometimes you realize how good somebody was when they're gone. It's just, it's just that brotherhood of Ohio State. You know that you're going to come here and compete against great players. It's just what comes with the, with the territory. But for me, uh, like I said before, just um, my faith, I know that God has a plan for my life no matter what happens, uh, no matter if it's with football or with not, which I hope it is. But I know that God is going to uplift me in whatever uh, plan he has for my life, then I'm all for it. So um, I think – me and Jack, when no matter what happens, he's going to have a great career in football. I'm going to have a great career in football. I'm 110% into the Ohio State program and Coach Day's plan for me, Coach Miss plan for me. Uh, I mean, I, um, I think in anything in life, if you have your foot in something and, and you're thinking about something else, it's never going to work out. So right now I'm focused on being the quarterback at Ohio State, and um, I think everything will take care of itself. All right, that'll wrap it up. That was our first, hopefully not the only. Hopefully we'll do this again with some other great Ohio State players. For now, we always appreciate you guys listening. You can be a tech subscriber at 614-350-3315 if you want to take part in surveys when we do things like that. Read cleveland.com slash OSU and make sure you're subscribed. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a single one. That's CJ Stroud's Ohio State Legacy. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.